How do you do? The Box Office Pulp Board feels it would be a little unkind to present this podcast without just a word of friendly warning. We're about to unfold a cinematic commentary track, made by a group of men who sought to create a podcast after their own ravings, without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest tales ever told. It deals with three great mysteries of the internet, analysis, observation, and deconstruction. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel you'd not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now's your chance to... Well, we've warned you. Now, to pause and refresh. For your convenience, we have an attractive refreshment stand in the lobby, with buttered popcorn, golden good and hot from the popper, your favorite candies, wholesome and rich, plus delicious Dr. Pepper, so bright and bracing with a tang and tingle unmatched by any other beverage. Enjoy an ice-cold Dr. Pepper at our beverage stand right now, and then return to fully appreciate this bop and a movie commentary track. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Box Office Pulp, your one podcast stop for movies, madness, moxie, and tonight, Moonlit Werewolf Shenanigans. The Bob Harry Potter commentary series marches on with this episode about The Prisoner of Azkaban. I'm your host, Cody, and joining me today is Mike, a man trapped in a rat's body. Yeah, yeah, that's accurate. That's how I feel. The line was squeak, man, squeak. Come on. (laughs) Now we got to start over. Uh, And our other host... I moved into that so fast, I really hope it sounds like a jarring edit to everyone at home. <laughs> That's just how we talk. <laughs> and our other host, Jamie, whose Patronus is tough to make out under all of those tentacles and antennae. As long as it protects me, that's all that matters. I think that should be part of the deal. It shouldn't be a cute animal, it should be something terrifying. Oh god, could you imagine if your Patronus was Sasquatch doing the walk? That would be so cool. Go away, monsters! Go! Oh, it's not working. I feel he just like keeps mine... disappearing into the woods. <laughs> I feel like mine would just be Conan O'Brien. <laughs> Doing the string dance. <laughs> Better yet, it'd be like Conan O'Brien when he's on Andy Richter Controls the Universe, like where he disrobes and he's just so shiningly bright it scares everyone else away. <laughs> oh, you'd be I'm greatest glad somebody fucking else cameo is... ever. <laughs> and then off he goes into the night. <laughs> At least this time he didn't take a bride with him. I'm glad other people are obsessed with the greatest episode of television. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it like once and it's stuck with me all of these years. Is that is that show even on DVD? Can I track that no. down anywhere? It was like and, on Adult Swim for like a seat for like a summer and that's the last time anybody's seen it. <laughs> Folks at home, if you have a bootleg copy of Andy Richter's television career uh, outside of Conan, please feel free to just send those right to us. We'll take them. I just want Andy Barker P.I. on TVD, please. Do us a solid, man. Come on. It's That's so weird to think Richter was a TV star briefly. Solo. Things were better back then. Back in the Richter days. I miss Titus. Uh... Titus ran for a long time. Very long. What he are had, you talking about? The, I don't know. Like, I don't early know. Early 2000s Fox <laughs> TV. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're, 
we're here to do a commentary for the Prisoner of Azkaban. So, oh, these shows were on air at the time. Probably not, actually. It was probably before its time, but still. It doesn't quite line up, but regardless, if you've never listened to one of our commentary tracks before, we also have Harry Potter commentaries for the first two movies in the series. So you can start with uh, Philosopher's Stone. You can move on to The Chamber of Secrets. You can start right here for all I care. I'm not your dad. I'm not the police. I won't <laughs> narc on you. Or but a daddy police. The, I might be that. But today we're doing <laughs> The Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh, it's one of our commentary episodes. So instead of just us blabbing for roughly the length of the movie, we're actually going to watch the movie and comment along over top of it. So if you feel like joining in, you can put on your copy of The Prisoner of Azkaban. We'll count you down, and we can watch everything in sync. It'll be fun. It'll be like going on a picnic with your old man and throwing the ball around. It'll be great. I love how you still insist on describing these commentaries as though our audience is from Mars. They might be. I don't know how podcasts I've said this a thousand times before. Cody describes things like he's fucking Starman. (laughs) Look, look, it's better they understand what a DVD commentary track is than just being surprised. It's like, I I wish you just started every fucking episode of this show describing what film is throughout history, and then we get to talking (laughs) about, like, Demolition Man or something. No, that's going to be when we do our day for night commentary. Anyway, we're paused uh, zero seconds in. I'm going to count to three. After I say three, we're going to press play. Are we ready? Yes. I have my Dementor hood on. Ooh, magical fucking journey. One, two, three. Wait, what is it? Uh, it's a mystery. Oh. Possibly magic. Oh, just immediately artsy. <laughs> this is my favorite opening of all the Harry Potter films. Oh, Normally, like, the, the logo just gets more and more distressed as the films go on, but this one, you have the fun little trick of, almost like a little vignette of just Harry using his magic, illegally, I will add, outside of school. <laughs> Fucking criminal. As we slowly zoom into the house, it's... So relatable, too, because how many times have we tried to do this with, like, you know, playing a Game Boy at night while your parents are driving you somewhere or trying to read a comic book after, you know, your bedtime? Or this is technically Harry masturbating. No post on Sunday. I just realized Harry drew his own owl and then hung up the picture across from his fucking owl. (laughs) In case he gets lonely, Mike. There you go. I want to be able to see Al from every corner of my room. (laughs) It's Hedwig, too. It's your friend. So I like these wizard adventurers in that book. (laughs) I also uh, really enjoy the pullback to reveal the title treatment, just to show how powerful this goddamn spell is, and now everyone in the block is blind. (laughs) (laughs) No post on Sunday! (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to murder you, Harry. You know what bothers me? How bright that hallway is. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, Harry's the only one who has to sleep in that house. I love how immediately we see a complete tone shift. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like Prisoner of Azkaban works almost as a deconstruction of the tone of the first two movies. Like we see that immediately with 
the Dursleys, where there's not really anything silly about them in this movie. They're just horrible and abusive. Uncle Vernon is much more muted this time around. Oh, yeah. In the first two, he's almost comically evil at points. This one, he, he's just kind of beaten down. Maybe it's because he's got family visiting. <laughs> he's just so sick and old. <laughs> also, I had no idea until checking IMDB that Aunt Marge is the fucking Trunchbull from Matilda. Oh my god. No like wonder that, we don't like her. That's her thing, playing evil aunts in children movies. Everybody's gotta have a hobby. I love how there's like three TVs on right now. <laughs> Including one outdoors. <laughs> it is a little weird because they're on the same channel. Is it just so like whenever Dudley's talking to one side of the table, he still knows what's going on? I just realized like they it... ate nothing. <laughs> <laughs> they they just drink. They ate the plates. So I do like how it looks like they're like the dumbest Ozymandiases ever. <laughs> That would be pretty much me if I were a supervillain. Just a hundred televisions all on cartoons. <laughs> so is is this the first time, I think it is, in the Harry Potter series we lose? We see Harry actually lose his shit? Uh, yeah. Very much so, yeah. Harry is friggin' unchained in this movie. <laughs> he is. It's refreshing to be able to move on and explore these characters more. I, as, as kids... They only get so much personality. Like, you know, you you can't stretch their acting limits too much the first time they've ever been on camera. Whereas by their third outing, they're much more comfortable in the roles. And now they're asking them to kind of challenge themselves more and do bigger things, which is fun. Getting to see uh, <laughs> these little outbursts are kind of jarring compared to the first two films. But they do let Harry be a little more flawed, a little more interesting. Plus, I feel like... They stumbled on to the fact that Daniel Radcliffe is fucking engaging as hell when he's angry. <laughs> like he's one of the, he was one of the few child actors who could really pull that off. Also, look at Vernon realizing he's in a Harry Potter movie. Oh, not again. <laughs> Why do we keep letting him back in? It's completely optional. Could you imagine, though... How fucking brutal this series would have been at this point if Harry d didn't show some sort of uh, backbone towards the Dursleys and towards all of his his abuse. It would just been like uh, depression porn at that point. <laughs> yeah. Well, this this scene too, if it's not for John Williams' score, would just be disturbing. Instead, it's whimsical <laughs> and wacky fun. Just a David Cronenberg scene. If you replace the score here with something dark, this whole scene becomes terrifying. You just put the Coppola's Dracula score under it. Da, na, 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 na. Imagine that, yeah. Please, someone do that. If it wasn't this wacky, fun score, this wouldn't be like, oh, Harry, and your fun magic. It'd be like, oh my god, this woman just bloated into a balloon and now will fly away into the night and probably be sucked up by a jet engine. They're right for abusing this child. <laughs> Yeah, I think that was something that was very smart on Rowling's uh, on Rowling's behalf was she could have milked this series 
for a really long time just doing the exact same formula over and over and over again. And she would have made some money at that for a while, but the Harry Potter books and movies break formula super fast. Well, this one kind of holds uh, the trend. You know, you, you've got the opening scene where the Dursleys are terrible. Harry gets in trouble. He has a slight misadventure on his way to Hogwarts. You know, they, they kind of hit those marks, but it feels like this one, they're they're turning the page on those things, and they spend more time with the lead-up to Hogwarts than the destination of Hogwarts. Well, it's... It, there's a difference between this and the, um, the past two, structure-wise, is this is Harry kind of... Like, it's all from more of a character perspective than just action and plot. Like, this is... Quran wanting the opening to uh, play up the thematics and then kind of turn in on itself. So it's not, you know, Harry being rescued from the Dursleys or anything. It's Harry, Harry telling them to fuck off and then leaving and kind of going on an adventure himself. And also highlighting the, you know, massive theme of isolation. Yeah, like, that's something they really hone in on the movies from this point out. Like, you just don't see the Dursleys in Goblet of Fire. Then in Order of the Phoenix, he's still with them, but he's not really taking any of their shit. Well, their, their parts just become less and less important from here on out. This is kind of a last hurrah for the characters, which is fine. I mean, it would be weird if Harry was 17 and still getting chewed out by the Dursleys for 10 minutes each film. And we're suddenly in the opening credits of Are You Afraid of the Dark? <laughs> Ghost children! <laughs> Sirius Black does not do a good job of playing this cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's in dog form, Cody. He's all instinct. Which is so unnecessary when you think about it. A lot of shit Sirius does in this movie is really scary in retrospect. Like, why did you think any of this would work out, dude? The best you can say is he lived in, like, you know, Wizard Alcatraz for decades and is just insane. A little weird because they make him seem like he's totally okay once he has, like, his heart-to-heart with Harry. Harry well, as soon as he's done pretending, man. yeah, it's really weird. <laughs> also, God, it was very strange going from the movie to reading the book where the night bus is kind of just a normal bus and nothing really happens on it. <laughs> this one gets tricked out. Right, this is all pure Weird shrinking action. Beds inside. <laughs> Looks cozy, though. The chandelier. See, this is where uh, something Quran really, I think, excels at for changing the the Potter universe. And and while all the movies after this kept the aesthetic Quran brought on, one thing they never quite captured is the first two were uh, like the magical world stuff, 
you know, all the Potterverse stuff was uh, whimsical and kind of childhood-like. And Karan's angle was fairy tale. So that's when you have, like, there's a shrunken head. And... <laughs> and it's also sinister. Like, it really gives you that feeling of being a child, walking around a very adult world that doesn't give a shit if you're a child or not. Yeah. Also, I cannot believe that this is practical. Well, the, the shrinking part, I think, might be CGI, but I could be wrong. Uh, nah. For some reason, watching this scene in college, my roommates and I had this running joke of just at random times doing impressions of the stupid shrunken head. <laughs> but they would always, the impressions always had to start off with, Earn you dumb bitch, before you followed up with whatever you were trying to say. That was the starter Deleted line. Scene. That was the starter line. Earn you dumb bitch, you better watch your head. No matter what we're doing, we could be like moving a sofa and someone would have to shout that out. It's amazing how this effect was done, which is just, they drove at normal speed and everyone else drove really, really slowly, and then they messed with the frame rate. <laughs> Normally, that kind of work looks terrible. I mean, I'm not a fan of undercranking in car chase movies, and yet oh, yeah. we see it so often. I don't know why everyone thinks it's a good idea. Maybe it's like the only option that's safe, but boy, typically it looks bad. This, though, works pretty slick. I mean, some of the stuff in the background looks a little funky, but your eye's not really drawn to it naturally. I always just thought this was a composite effect. Earn you dumb beach. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised that wizard crossword puzzles aren't more complex. I didn't get a good close-up on that newspaper, but it looked like a normal crossword puzzle. You, you think they'd have heard about Sudoku by now? <laughs> if you look at the rest of the way that newspaper is organized, I just refuse to believe their crossword puzzles make any sense. <laughs> but yeah, it's. I distinctly remember watching this movie for the first time, and the second you got to this scene, it just. There is no better, like, mission statement for what kind of a Harry Potter movie this is than that scene. It's like, oh, this series is going in a different direction now, isn't it? Well, and just reading the books, you realize how much they matured as they went along. And the movies were eventually going to have to take that path, too, where they needed to start applying to, you know, middle-aged teenagers and eventually young adults. This movie, they start hitting their stride there. It's a little bit darker. They don't jump right into it. There's still a lot of comedy, especially in the early half of the film. The Night Bus is you know, a great comedy bit. So this is a wonderful transition film, in my mind, where you're trying to get to the point of, yeah, don't expect all the adventures to be light and fun, but we don't want to be grim either. Not yet. Yeah, I remember Rowling was shocked by how much this film accidentally predicted the tone of the later books. I mean, by, by the next one, spoilers, I guess, if you've never seen Goblet of Fire, you end up with one of Harry's friends just murdered and Wizard Hitler coming back. So they, they have to get dark pretty fast, and it'd be very easy to make that jarring. I guess that could be an intentional statement, 
but it's more comforting for the audience to slowly get them to that point, which they do a good job of. And this whole thing here where they, they are babying Harry because they're worried about Black being around, possibly trying to murder Harry. Just imagine true crime stories set in the wizard world. I think, like, <laughs> our versions are gripping, but, like, toss in dark magic where when they need to get rid of a corpse, they can magic the chunks away or something. They've got magic Mickey Mouse axes running around chopping people in the bits to hide in flu powder systems. Now imagine the podcasts. <laughs> Wizard oh. crime. Wizard crime. I would listen to that in a heartbeat. The Black Magic Murders. Wizard crime. God, just imagine how metal the riff would be for that podcast. <laughs> also in here, we do a great job of... We. I, I helped. Uh, <laughs> Kiran does a wonderful job here of exploring the world a little bit more. We'll definitely get it when we get to Hogwarts and they explore the geography. But just the, the bits in the leaky cauldron, seeing the other wizards go about you know, tidying up the place after hours, how the bureaucracy kind of works, how the night cauldron works, all these extra little details that aren't necessarily related directly to Harry help build out the mythology and, and make this world feel so much more fleshed out. I, I think that's the number one thing Alfonso gave to the Harry Potter world. Oh, yeah. This is the first time the Harry Potter world felt real and not in yeah. a it's not fun anymore reality that people often confuse um you know that kind of that kind of way of thinking they just the use of geography and linking places so they're not just a series of sets and just actually examining things that are outside of harry and there's so much going on at all times it's so madcap it's tangible like it's not realistic it's tangible the best i guess the best way to put it yeah, and Just she little lets things like these... the dust coming off the coming <laughs> off things. Yeah, and he lets scenes like these breathe. Like he doesn't need to show Harry fighting the monster book. It's not directly related to the central mystery. Oh, this or bothers that. me because I'm pretty sure this joke was cribbed 100 percent for one of the Hotel Transylvania movies. <sighs> I'll, I'll have to rewatch them, but I, I think in the first Hotel Transylvania they use that exact same joke. And I like Hotel Transylvania, but come on. Come on, Dracula. These movies are old enough at this point to be homage. It's a, it's a weird thought. That's true. I don't know. When it's a comedy bit, though, that's word for word the same. Is it homage or just rip-off? I love how Scabbers gets more build-up than Dobby. <laughs> <laughs> God, you know that they were so... Happy they kept in scabbers whenever this book came out. Oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. <laughs> also, look who aged 10 years between movies. I know, Ginny looks insane over in the far left. She's gone. Look at everything happening in the background. <laughs> Every scene in this movie feels like the damn cantina from Star Wars. I've never noticed the kid in the background playing like the recorder kind of thing to cause the rope or snake or whatever that is in the basket to rise. Neither have I. Also, 
going back to the idea of format changes, essentially the mystery is just dropped in Harry's lap right here. Like, this is the whole thing. Hey, there's an escape murderer. He's somehow related to you. Don't worry about it, but stay away from him. Don't go looking for him. The rest of the movie can really focus on Harry just going through classes and his relationship to other characters. And they eventually dovetail back into the mystery. But it's not like Chamber of Secrets where he has to spend the entire time sleuthing around to put the pieces together himself. The mystery has already been explored for him, and then he gets vital pieces at the end. Yeah. Which I like. It's a great way to, again, show the world, because Harry can spend more time now just sitting in various classes instead of having to skulk around in the Forbidden Forest trying to figure out what the hell is happening. It gives this movie this incredible sense of foreboding. Like, you know, from 15 minutes in, something bad's going to happen. So, God, just the amount of energy the movie has with the way Quran uses the camera. Oh, yeah. As much as I, I think Columbus is very... Of course, he still produced this movie, but is very underappreciated for his contributions. I don't know how this series would have gone on with the aesthetic set up mostly in Chamber. Still feeling like a 90s movie? Yeah, it's like Chamber was a much uh, more alive feeling, we, we as we talked about, but... It's still very just um, almost stage play with the way it adapts the book. Here you have Karan just kind of going nuts with the camera and making it alive and shuffling things around, actually making the world a world. This is what happens when you give an indie director all the money in the world. (laughs) Well, even the way the characters are are dressed, it would be unusual, I think, if they had continued up the traditional black wizard robes throughout the entire series, allowing the characters to dress less formally and more like it's modern times it gives a more relaxed feel to things and makes it seem more natural, I guess. Yeah, I'm really glad they brought in a new um, costume designer as well, because even things like the wizard robes just look so much better. Just little yeah, think, change details. I think they realized after the last two movies, at a certain point, you get so used to those uniforms, you're just kind of watching floating heads do things. <laughs> There's not much detail to them. I mean, they're just black robes. Also, since the characters have been aged up a little bit, we can get a little bit more heavy on the atmosphere. And Kiran does such a, a fantastic job in making this spooky. The rain outside the train, all the other train rides have been in nice, clear weather. All of a sudden, we're in the rain for a lot of the film. This particular moment, we get the ice on the windows, we get the frosty breath, the spooky, ominous lead-in. The Dementors themselves aren't, in my mind, all that terrifying, but the lead-up to them sells how scary this has to be for Harry. And they can can do that kind of tone stuff now. Besides the spiders, I think, in Chamber, that movie wasn't all around that scary. There are some scary elements to it, but they didn't try and push them the same way as the horror you get with all the Dementor scenes here. Yeah, Azkaban is just a horror movie for kids at a certain point. (laughs) So I love the story about 
when they were planning this scene and Curon said he wanted the rain to turn to ice and they thought he said eyes so they gave him production art of the sky raining eyeballs when the dementors come in. They should have kept it. I think so. Like, how terrifying would that be? <laughs> how Silver Dolly the series would have become if they just decided that was how they were going to handle things. <laughs> As if the eyes of God were upon him. <laughs> Literally falling on his face. It was disgusting. As mad. One year for Halloween, I went as a ring wraith, and someone accused me of being a dementor. You you were so, must have been so insulted. It you ruined my Halloween. Ran away. <laughs> I was done. There was a pouty stomp away from that house. God, Harry loses consciousness so many times in this movie. He's like a Probably new all character. Of head damage. Wakes up and it's like, why is my shirt untucked? Here, take this. Why are they pushing chocolate into me? Also, um, just a little little note for the folks at home. We are... Gary's about to eat chocolate, and we're at 23 minutes exactly. 23.02, 23.03, 04, 05. Just for a little sync-up action. I like to be professional every, like, eight commentaries. Remember, I have to do that. <laughs> I personally just fuck with them and be like, we are three hours into the movie, and it's only getting started. Also, can we um, comment on David Thewlis, the greatest tired actor of all time? <laughs> so oh. Just let him have a nap. <laughs> Jack Nicholson's thing is cool. Like Adam Sandler's thing is angry. David Thewlis is professionally tired. <laughs> Look, he deserves all the praise in the world for being able to appear in movies that aren't The Big Lebowski and have me not think about The Big Lebowski. <laughs> if he could make that role stick in my head that strongly and still get away without just being that guy, he's got some chops. What's really amazing is watching this now because he gives pretty much the same performance as Lupin as he does on Fargo, where he's the evilest character who has ever existed. <laughs> To backtrack I, uh, for just a moment here, I, I enjoy the detail that Harry is very concerned that he's the only one to pass out from the Dementors. Considering these characters are supposed to be 14 now, it seems pretty okay. natural that they would have... What does it work out? Is it 11 their first year? I believe so. I think so, yeah. Yeah, someone will correct us on Facebook and yell at us. But he's, you know, entering teenage age, and... You know, there's this whole thing to how do you fit into the world and just thinking he's the only one to have that reaction is embarrassing and unnatural and he's got to worry about it. It's a very perfectly natural kid thing that every kid does. Plus, you got to you have uh, what happened in Chamber of Secrets with Harry being the only one to speak parcel tongue. I could. I got, I kind of, that's a subtle thing they do throughout the series. Harry always being concerned that something's going to come along that makes him more of an outsider. And we've kind of brushed past it, but that was the introduction of our new Dumbledore. I like the way it was handled. Uh, in a lot of films, I think you would have gotten like a James Bond moment where they have to really be like, look, it's different, but the same, wink, wink. I should have done it like Rhodey. I'm here. Deal with it. <laughs> In this case, 
you know, it's it's treated as, hey, here's a Dumbledore scene. It, to me, it doesn't feel like they're stressing about this being a new Dumbledore. They're just letting it kind of naturally flow. Yeah. Quran just does an interesting thing where they kind of... Or he kind of centers him for uh, kind of fully commanding the room. So you, you kind of immediately adjust to his presence. And oh, then there's, there's a lot of shots of him now. from... There's shots of him from behind, too, instead of immediately going to his face and holding to be like, look, it's a new old guy. With a new hat. This uh, Dumbledore is much better dressed, I have to say. Oh, yeah. Better beard, too. <laughs> I also feel like Gambon, while not resorting to like out-and-out imitation, he is channeling Harris's Dumbledore a lot in the earlier scenes, I feel. Very much so. Oh, (laughs) look at that magic trick. It's an illusion. (laughs) I I feel like that's the moment where he becomes Gambon's Dumbledore. Yeah. I have smothered the old Dumbledore's soul. Now I light my flame. (laughs) (laughs) My God, it was all symbolism. Also, look at the difference in the portrait effects in this movie. Look at the difference in Neville. (laughs) Stop growing, damn you. What a monster. <laughs> Put more buck teeth on him. Yeah, I always felt like this movie has the most alive portraits. They're like, there's always so much shit they're doing in the background. <laughs> just just imagine you get your like Screen Actors Guild card because you're a portrait in the background. <sighs> I think you actually have to have lines for that to count, but just imagine if that was the case. They do a, have a lot of seconds lines. of a Harry Potter. Why was that ghost in the boys' room? <laughs> He's a ghost. He can't be stopped. This is... Uh, when I think of Harry Potter, this is the first thing that comes to mind. The scene of the Gryffindors just sitting around, trying out candy, having a fun time. It doesn't add much to the film's plot in any way, but it's it's such a fun moment. You get the magic of it all. It stands out to me, and probably my number one Harry Potter scene of the entire franchise. They're real people, suddenly. <laughs> I feel like from this point on, they really nailed just like the right ratio for how much the kids should fuck around versus how much they should do plot stuff. <laughs> that's that's the appeal of the movies to me. It's it's not the plot. It's it's the fucking around in this universe, which is a fascinating universe. Sure, the plot. I mean, if there was no plot, we'd get tired of things real fast. But look at this scene too. Uh, it's not really plot-centric. It's just to build the world. Here, let's follow the bird around. Let's show how all these pieces connect. Uh, let's let's look remind at the geography Yeah, let's yeah. remind people that the Whomping Willow is here and that will be a major character later on in the film. That, I'm sorry, evil tree that Dumbledore allows to be there. Dumbledore allows a lot of evil things on the grounds at all times. <laughs> I mean, he didn't murder Dobby when he was on the grounds. Well, he got his use out of Dobby. <laughs> his purpose has been fulfilled. Kill him. <laughs> so, just like Muggle Life, I appreciate the fact 
that wizards have their own bunk science. <laughs> they have like, their own Alex Jones. Yeah, fortune telling is is their version of like applied kinesiology. It's like eh, maybe it works. In the film, they do give some examples of fortune telling being true. But Hermione seems mostly correct in a lot of the stuff she's doing is just garbage. It's it's more prominent in the books, but <laughs> Yeah, I I think that's that really speaks to the strength of Emma Thompson's performance. Which is like you're actually not supposed to like Professor Trelawney. She's supposed to be a horrible bully. But how do you not love this character when it's being played like this? She's like the greatest art teacher ever. Exactly. Oh, God, this is so many middle school art teachers. <laughs> and just like my middle school art experience, I appreciate that Hermione is finally bad at something. <laughs> it's it's like dr- drama 101. You take your super awesome character and you find something difficult for them to have to cope with. Just to give them that extra challenge and it makes them grow as a character. It gives them an automatic arc they can build. Here we go. Hermione, the perfect student, the know-it-all, has to take something she hates. She has to deal with a course she can't grasp. It's great. We get a moment kind of like this later on in reverse where all of a sudden Ron is good at something and he joins the uh, Quidditch team. So (laughs) they dole these things out slowly. (laughs) Appreciate them while you can. I like what an event Ron having a good day is. I imagine every day Ron wakes up and the Beatles' A Day in the Life starts playing and all the bad (laughs) stuff from that song happens to Ron. God, I love the red in those outfits. There's red. Stop the commentary. Are you talking about, like, the ties, or is there, like, an obvious red accent? It wasn't a personal slight against you by bringing up (laughs) colors, Cody. No, I need to know where the red is. The inside of their school uniforms are now crimson. Hmm. Actually, they're all very bloody, and they just wipe their jackets down. I've always appreciated how this was the point where J.K. Rowling was like, Fuck, I'm running out of excuses to involve Hagrid in the story. Uh, screw it, he's a teacher now. Okay, I'm amused by the shot that just went by where it's just... Hagrid's just kind of normal-sized. <laughs> <laughs> Pay no heed. Also, isn't it totally normal for groundskeepers to just become teachers after a while? Like they work their way up from uh, from their position? Yeah, every um... principal begins as the janitor. Yeah, it, pretty much if a groundskeeper goes 10 years without molesting one of the kids, he becomes a teacher. How weird is it to think that it's canon that Hagrid got a job as a teacher because he was cleared of that murder charge? <laughs> well, you know, you murdered a kid at the school. What if you just came back and lived at the school? Also, God, Draco looks like Eminem. <laughs> I love Karan just just essentially said, be as big of a douchebag as you possibly can. <laughs> aye, aye, Captain. <laughs> this is a great scene for just showing the contrast between Harry and his nemesis, though. We get to see the two facing off. You can see the height of Draco now. 
you get to see how Draco reacts to the same situation Harry's in. Yeah, it is funny how there's more of Draco in Chamber of Secrets. Yeah, this is the first movie where it actually feels like he's Harry's nemesis. Yeah, typically he's just kind of an asshole. Like, sure, he's the nemesis on paper, but this one they really stick it to him, and you just know this guy hates the other guy, and they will always be finding excuses to annoy each other. Oh, everybody feels more like a person who has a point in existing in this movie. Everyone just kind of is playing roles in the previous two. Draco is so just arch in the in, in especially in chamber. <laughs> well, again, since we're not focusing on mystery aspects, I think it allows this movie to spend so much more time letting things breathe and let the characters come alive, which is a little shocking because isn't I, this is one of the shortest Potters, isn't it? It's, yep. It's two hours and twenty minutes. It's not a huge difference but it feels very full and rich without overstaying its welcome. Oh yeah, this is, I think this is easily the most succinct Harry Potter movie. Which is kind of ironic because Prisoner of Azkaban is easily the most all-over-the-place book. <laughs> but this screenplay is so laser-focused, which I think is also why it's one of the more accurate of the adaptations like pretty much every scene in this movie is a scene from the book like pretty like they cut out really no plot information like what you see in this movie is every single scene in the book that has to do with the plot correct uh talked about how he just found his way of adapting was just okay here like building the spine here's the theme here's the emotional journey and then throwing the book at that and whatever stuck to that spine stayed whatever didn't gone unless it's specifically needed for the future that's probably the best formula for adaptation i've ever heard it changed how these are adapted in general to go back just a few minutes, there was that quick shot of Hermione grabbing Ron's hand, which I think they have to get some sort of award for slowest burn on a romance <laughs> in a series, because they get to milk that for pretty much eight movies before they really make it a, a full-blown thing. Where yeah, else that... can you get that? How often do you have a movie series that's that long and committed where you can show a character's relationship really develop that real time? Yeah, they hold back on that nut way longer <laughs> than anyone thought they would. Um, I, Plus, I don't we, think we, we can let this go and... without uh, a reference. Yeah! Okay, <laughs> moving on. Can, Cody, you may continue. Remember, Daniel Radcliffe is imagining Cameron Diaz in a G-string right now. Yeah! Magic! Well, this scene is essential, too, just so we have a connection to Buckbeak later on when he's supposed to be executed. We actually give a shit about him. So that's nice. Otherwise, it would just seem pointless that, like, Harry had a great moment to just fly around. But it has dual purpose. Also, it's nice 
just the buildup they're giving Ron and Hermione to make that love angle work later on. We see more of them kind of bickering and having side conversations without Harry in this film, making them feel like true characters that have their own lives and everything they do isn't just to serve as Harry Potter. And most of that was accidental. <sighs> well, like they caught him, like, guys, we're, we're actually rolling, and they're like, shit, fuck. <laughs> There's actually B-roll footage of them just violently having sex. <laughs> Everywhere, all the lavatories. Alfonso Coron, no. That's not how we do it in America. Slash Britain. My God, can we just reflect for a moment on how out of nowhere it was that the director of Why Do Mama Tambien followed that up with a Harry Potter movie? Yeah, I really want to go back and... That shot. Yeah, I know. I really want to go back and just be a fly on the wall of the executive meetings as Quran was chosen. Considering how homogenous Warner Brothers originally wanted this series to be, with, with Columbus directing all of them and just very... not cookie-cutter, but uh, factory-like in how they were made... And just going like, and we're going to hire this guy now, and he can do whatever he wants. <laughs> well, it's amazing. Before Curon, they were seriously considering Shyamalan again. Like, he only backed out because of the village. What, what would that story? have been? Uh, the Not twist good. is actually just the twist that we get in the movie. <laughs> they could have just left it whole, whole, uh, wholesale. But no, they they offered this to a bunch of people. Del Toro was offered it. Uh, they went around. They were going Brana? after anyone they could. I would actually yeah, have liked to have seen Brana this. make one of these. He can just be Gilderoy Lockhart to those children in real life. <laughs> I was like, can we talk for a moment about how iconic the serious black mugshot immediately <laughs> was the second this trailer dropped? It's such a smart way to portray the character. It's very much the uh, the the idea of, hey, how do we make this guy seem threatening? Well, we can show him a little bit, but we can't make him a true character until the end. Let's have everyone else talk about him in hushed tones. Let's make the only shot of him be this crazed mug shot. It's, it's basically, you know, the Apocalypse Now treatment for a character is Colonel Kurtz. You just leave him in darkness and you have everyone else build up his reputation so your mind does all the work and establishes this guy as a big, iconic badass. God, I can't remember if it was the teaser or the full trailer that played before Spider-Man 2, I want to say. like I remember being in the theater and seeing that for the first time and it just Something about the combination of that money shot of the mug shot and the the kids singing something wicked this way comes where I was fucking floored at like age 13. Like, oh, my God, these aren't silly kids movies anymore. Might have been partly too absence makes the uh, heart grow fonder after what the first two movies were like a year schedule. Like, they wanted to pump those out every single year like they were Saw movies. And then they decided to slow things down. Uh, if memory serves, they moved to, like, an 18-month schedule, something like that, year and a half. Yeah. So there's that little bit of extra time where you're sitting there like, 
We should be watching Harry Potter. Why aren't we watching Harry Potter? Ah, uh, another half a year. Come on! Although maybe that's not true because I believe this was the lowest grossing film in the, in the series. It made just under 800 worldwide, which, oh no, <laughs> didn't really do anything to the rest of the franchise. But uh, I'd imagine that's a little bit of a concerning sign to the studio executives at the time. Yeah, but they uh, came back with a vengeance with Goblet of Fire, didn't they? I don't know offhand. I didn't do my research on future movies. That's for later Cody to worry about. <laughs> later uh, Cody. Fuck you, future Cody. Can we, uh, you um, have homework. Can we take a moment to just question how the fuck Kron pulled off two shots in the sequence? The one where we go... Both of the, both of the times Kron goes through the mirror. <sighs> and there's no cut. I don't... No. I don't know how Quran did that. I, I've never been able to figure out how Actual the fuck Quran did that. There's, oh god, Del Toro was giving an interview where he talked about that. Like He had the same reaction, like, how the hell did you do that? Explain your secrets. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he, he did an explanation of it that I didn't quite understand, but I don't know if it was something like there's just a CGI pane of glass there that they pull through, or, or it's some sort of matching cut, I don't remember. But he made it seem like it was no big deal. Well, at the end of the sequence, when you go back through the mirror, if you, like, after the camera goes through the mirror, you're looking at Harry, but everything is mirrored on Harry. His scars on the opposite side, his clothes are, like, everything's opposite, like you're in a mirror world. So no, you just made him more mobile. Oh, God, now the uh. spiders have wheels. Also, why do I get the feeling that this explains box office pulp. Like, unbeknownst to us, right before we record every night, a wizard comes out and goes, Ridiculous! And then we get this <laughs> podcast. That does explain all the roller skates that are accumulating in my house. Someday I will be crushed by them. <sighs> I think she made this one worse, actually. <laughs> she really what did. weird little girl. Uh, 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 I would uh, take the uh, snake uh, over uh, this uh, terrifying uh, uh, clown. Harry's delighted. It hypnotizes <laughs> Harry for some reason. Yeah, I like how for a second there, home. for a second there, he's like, yeah, I'm going to get you. <laughs> I think they uh, kind of fucked this part up slightly. <laughs> a little bit. You know, in the books, the timing was a little bit more, you know, he's jumping in front of him. Like as it's coming out and this one, it's like he sees his Dementor and then he reacts. He still has the same motivation, but it just doesn't come across as technically executed well. Look at Harry there. Everything's on the opposite side. Did they just make an opposite Harry? I don't understand. It's the two Luke's theory for A New Hope, but for Harry Potter. I think the big thing that doesn't quite work is Lupin's thing is just literally the moon. <laughs> like, there's no ambigu ambiguousness there. It's just, okay, so he's clearly yeah, it, a werewolf. Like, okay. It works much better on the page where you can just describe it as a glowing orb instead of being like, it's a moon. With clouds in front of it. Yeah. That's what just I, one what of those I love casualties is, translating from text. What I love is, could you imagine if he wasn't a werewolf? It's like, oh, Professor Lupin, you need to see a therapist. Oh, it's just like that um, one sketch from Morty's Mind Blowers from Rick and Morty. 
<laughs> you just saw a dude on the moon one day. <laughs> I was like, can we just... I'm sorry. Professor Lupin is the greatest character in any of these movies. I'm oh, so yeah. sad there's not more of him. It's a professor who actually takes time to teach Harry useful things. Uh, he's normally kind of forthright about things. Obviously, he's hiding the fact he's a werewolf and some of his background, but you know, he's, he's pretty direct with Harry. It's not like Dumbledore where he has to be like, well, Harry, here's a cryptic clue that you'll only understand two movies from now after it's past the point. I think I'll kill you in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and Lupin is really the most hardcore the series ever goes with a queer metaphor. Like, here's this really ramshackle dude who cannot stay anywhere for very long because someone might find out about that thing that he is. My especially closet! The, <laughs> we especially can't let the children know. They don't want a thing teaching their children. I don't feel like uh, the Harry Potter series ever gets enough credit for how unambiguous it is with the messages it puts forward. As we'll see when the Nazis show up in the series. It's only just occurred to me David Thulis is wearing a billowing cape right now. <laughs> I had the same reaction re-watching this. Like, wow, he's just Pulling a Dracula. <laughs> it's impressive too that he's able to wear that mustache and not just be shit on by everyone else in the film <sighs> it's hard times for mustachers it's you know Harry, i'm not the god of war i'm the god of truth that's <laughs> <laughs> a another thing i think doesn't get enough uh enough credit in this movie the amazing misdirection of the chocolate which is the most sinister seeming thing in the world and there's never a moment where that's acknowledged or we find, oh, no, it's, it was actually the opposite of that. The movie just lets you realize on your own, oh, he's actually just giving him chocolate. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I What's mean, that, your wife? Some people are nice. Some people just hand out chocolate, man. You see that mustache. <laughs> As a man who used to have a mustache, I object. Let, let's remind everyone, Sirius Black has no excuse for this. No, like he just apparently went in and went nuts and just decided to destroy portraits because that's going to help his case. This is the first I, time Sirius had whiskey in a long fucking time. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken in the books, he just plainly says, yeah, I just threw a temper tantrum because I couldn't find Peter Pettigrew. <laughs> Speaking of whiskey... I think it's time we introduce our official drink for this Harry Potter movie. Uh -oh. Last time, it was the Corpse Reviver number two. This time, we're drinking Sazeracs. So, the Sazerac is kind of interesting because it's actually like a proprietary drink. There's a Sazerac bar, there's a Sazerac rye whiskey. They have a lot of their own materials. So if you're in New Orleans, you can actually have all of the officially branded stuff dumped together to make your drink. Not the case here. I don't have all those materials. If you have them, I encourage you to drink them. So if you're going by the letter, 
You make this with one cube of sugar, an ounce and a half of Sazerac rye whiskey, a one-fourth ounce bit of absinthe, three dashes of Pichard's bitters, and you garnish with a lemon peel. To mix this up, it's a little bit more complicated than what we did the last time, but you take an old-fashioned glass and you pack it full of crushed ice. Uh, in another old-fashioned glass, you put the sugar cube down, you add the bitters to it, and then you crush up the sugar cube. On top of that, you add the whiskey, uh, and then you empty the ice from the first glass. You coat that glass, now that's chilled, with the absinthe. Discard the remaining absinthe, because that stuff's really powerful. It's got a strong taste. You don't want it to just be absinthe. Then you empty the whiskey bitter sugar mixture into that chilled glass. You garnish with the lemon peel, and you're off to the races. Thematically, I kind of went with this one because the last drink we had was a traditional British drink. You know, it was from the 1800s. This one also has a long history, but this is an American drink. So it's that change that we also get going from Columbus to Curon. Not nationality-wise, but hey, just fresh blood. Also, the sweetness found in the Corpse Reviver due to the lemon juice here is replaced sure you have the sugar but it's not a very sweet drink you get that blend of clove vanilla pepper licorice from the mix and it's a very different flavor profile a little bit more bitter than what you got last time and i think that flows along with this movie and its adjustment i need to interrupt myself here because we have to mention in that scene alan rickman put a whoopee cushion inside of <laughs> daniel radcliffe's sleeping bag I to was me so that is the most wonderful thing in the world I was so hoping you would hurry up and wrap that up just so we could get that under the water. I'm assuming everyone knows about that, but it, it bears repeating. Alan Rickman putting farting machines on people. Just like, to make a child sad because he's Alan Rickman. <laughs> and can you imagine Rickman reacting to it as it's happening? Oh. Uh, uh, uh. oh the, you joke. There's video of that. He's literally doing that. Just, <laughs> I think he actually covers his mouth briefly. Oh, like a Japanese schoolgirl. <laughs> this is, I would say, also his most iconic scene, just the oh. turn to page 300. Who can make turning pages sound mildly frightening? Remember when that was half of the marketing campaign for this movie? Just oh, this yeah. scene? That's all they needed. I remember that being the moment I feel like everybody realized, oh, Snape is a pop culture icon now. <laughs> we should be using him more. So, Cody, can I say, I love your drink mixing. Can you just do that for every commentary from now on? Yes, please. Oh, that was the plan. That was the plan. Uh, Not also, even just Harry last... Potter, just all of Bop in a movie. Oh. You're yeah, our professor a, of mixology. That's a given. That's the fun thing about drinks. It's its own form of alchemy. It fits in very well with Harry Potter. <laughs> but as someone who enjoys drinking, it fits in well with everything. Uh, I like the idea of you calling yourself an alcoholic alchemist. With <laughs> this beer, I shall conquer death. <laughs> with this whiskey, I thee wed. Anyways, one, one last comment about the Sazerac before we move on. Uh, much as the third film... Brought in a new director and a new tone, a new Dumbledore, new outfits, new everything, but kept it similar and in the same family. The Sazerac had to change from its original form multiple times because ingredients from the 1850s became harder to find throughout time. So we've gotten a modern variety that's actually different from the original, 
but still similar enough where you can say this is a Sazerac and that was a Sazerac. And that's perfectly encapsulating what this movie is. It's Harry Potter, but it's a different Harry Potter than what came before. Not different enough where you consider it a reboot, just different. You put way more thought into these drinks than I put into major life decisions, and I really appreciate that. If only it tasted good. <laughs> well, actually, when prepared properly, the Sazerac is a very, very good drink. Uh, Can that be I the end of every it. segment, by the way? <laughs> you just take a big gulp. Ah, terrible. Garbage. No, this one I did a poor job. I, I did not get all of the ingredients right. I'm, I'm using a, a, a different whiskey than the rye they recommended. It's not a sugar cube. Uh, as explained to these guys before, I was messing around with confectioner sugar because it's all I had. It's it's a mess. When these are made properly, though, if you go to a bar and have a real bartender make you one, you'll be very happy. Hey, look, it's like one of the last times Quidditch is really... No, nah, I guess I shouldn't say that. Quidditch is so important throughout the series. But how often do we get full games like we did in the first two? This is a truncated form of Quidditch. In the fourth one, we get the Quidditch World Cup. There's the subplot about Ron joining the Quidditch team, but that's mostly to show him blocking a few shots. Quidditch really stopped being important from this point on. As a game, as a set piece. Thank I'm going to be honest. This is, yeah, this is the only Quidditch scene in this entire series I actually like. I was very disappointed as a kid watching this because I'm like, they, we, we didn't get a full game. <laughs> Who won the World Cup? Yeah, you, you know, thoughts change as you get older. I'm very happy now as, as an adult that we don't have 20 minutes of each movie focused on Harry chasing around the snitch. If I'm not mistaken, like the full Quidditch season stuff continues in the books until like Order of the Phoenix. Yeah. I think even the house... Uh, House points thing is more important in the books, too, for much longer. Here, Snape gives that five points from Gryffindor, but that might be the only mention throughout the movie? It's not important after this point, so I don't, you know, why waste the time on it? Well, I feel like all of Harry and his friends realized very early on that that was just an arbitrary system designed to torment children. <laughs> I mean, that makes a lot of sense, considering Quidditch also seems like a great way to just weed out the weaker kids. <laughs> this is the, the last kid got struck by a lightning bolt and then fell several hundred feet to the ground, and they didn't stop the game. When I was playing football in high school, if there was like a thunder strike within a half hour uh, or like a 10 mile radius of the field for a 30 minute period, everyone had to stop. And that's football. That's the game of concussions. <sighs> I love how many vignettes there are in this movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's very old-fashioned. Trying to think the last time I saw a lot of them employed by a movie, and it might be The Illusionist. Uh, I, I don't remember if it was before or after, but I remember The Departed had that famous one. Yeah. Uh. Also, also, is that had kid behind mice. them going into cardiac arrest? <laughs> in the wizard hospital, the care is surprisingly inconsistent. Poor Sajak. Draco walks around with like a broken arm for a year. Harry regrows his bones overnight. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I think Draco's faking it. That's true. 
But you think in this magic world, everyone would call him out? Like, dude, there's no way. We've seen people actually be torn in pretty much half and, and still recover like the next day. They can regrow all limbs and bones almost instantaneously, instantaneously here. Nobody wants Jason Isaac on their bitch, back. Draco. True. True. Do you think any of the students got suspicious that their teacher left every month for like three days? Uh, I was, I thought you were going to ask, do you think anybody was suspicious that Harry went walking with this dude who's wearing a cape and has a tiny mustache out in the woods, the forbidden forest? It's the Harry Potter universe. They'd be weirded out if he didn't go with them. Sure, Harry we Potter universe is just stranger danger that's okay. Pretty much. I just, I want to see Harry, like, defending him. Like, you don't understand. He gave me candy. <laughs> he gave me oh. candy as I came to the train car we were sharing. I didn't make the connection before, but the island we were just looking at, I'm pretty sure is the same location they used for Dumbledore's grave later in the series. I believe so. Yeah, it's a nice little callback. I thought there was just some random spot they found. That I was like, yeah, this looks like it'd be one of the islands around there. Oh, and look at this wonderful seasonal transition. We get a lot of these throughout the film, and it does such a good job illustrating the passage of time and how long these characters really are here. Some of the other Harry Potter films feel like, hey, it's winter now, and they kind of just snap their fingers. Yeah. So going back to the um, locations of the grounds and stuff, Rowling did draw a map of the grounds to uh, for them to base everything kind of loosely on as to where everything was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, God, that reminds me of my favorite story <laughs> from, like, the pre-production of this movie. Curon really wanted little people to live inside the walls of Hogwarts, <laughs> like the borrowers, and that was the one thing Rowling had to put her foot down on, because that was too silly for the wizarding world of Harry Potter. It turns out he's just doing that to charge them rent so he could recoup some of the cost of the movie. <laughs> I would like to point out in this scene, they are doing everything in their power to make Harry Potter uh, a murderer. They've <laughs> given him a map that reveals the locations of everyone he knows by name, uh, all the secret passages of the castle. He has an invisibility cloak, and he just had a class that taught him every one of his fellow students' worst fears. And then he gets the ability to time travel. Really, this series should have been called His Dark Materials. This is in, in the hands of a weaker man. This is all the materials needed for Harry Potter just to become the worst serial killer since Jack the Ripper. <laughs> you think that's what happened to, to Voldemort? People just kept giving him shit? Here, have this magic. Well, I don't need a giant killer snake, but thank you. I shall make use of this. Here's a wand that looks like it's made out of bones. I'm sure that won't be given <laughs> to an evil person. <laughs> so this is how good Quran is at fucking thematics. So how are we introduced to the Marauders map? Footsteps in the snow. Right? <laughs> then you get into the map, which is fucking footsteps, because everything has to be a little mini movie. So brilliant. Sneaking around. Sneak, 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 sneak. Yeah, I think. It cannot be stated enough how much of a goddamn miracle it is that nobody has ever once been confused during a Harry Potter film, not during <laughs> any of them. 
I get confused during romantic comedies. Especially with the production schedule. It's not like they made these things over a five-year period between movies. Oh, poor Neville. No one likes Neville. I was so unnecessary. Right? Also, it just blows his cover. Harry Potter is fucking up. And he does nothing with it. No, he's Dude, not I'm a ghost. <laughs> oh, I made Neville sad. Thank God, he's a monster. Also, uh, we're a little bit uh, ahead of it, but the uh, Fred and George seed reminded me that opened with a shot of that gigantic goddamn pendulum. <laughs> and <laughs> it astonishes me. I've seen this more than any other Harry Potter movie. I've seen it more than most films. Like this is right up here with Spider-Man 2 and Army of Darkness as like movies I've seen easily 50 times or above. I've never noticed the pendulum motif that plays throughout this movie like that kind of subtly makes you feel like a clock is ticking down. That's really genius. I just figured like they got the clock on discount and like we have to show it nine times. This is so cool. <laughs> There's a thing with pendulum, uh, pendulums, uh, mirrors, and just isolating Harry in shots. Like that's like everything <laughs> Karan does. Those are the three things he does in this movie. So who do you think that skull belonged to? <laughs> Ron pooped himself. Ah. Okay, serious. Why did you have to pose that way? I'm an angry wizard. Also, as much as I talk about loving the fact that they can sit down and have classroom scenes, it's a great idea that they can do a Hogsmeade scene and show something outside of the school for once and let the series breathe a little bit more, show the characters out in kind of a field trip real world situation. I love the class stuff, but if it was just the class, maybe that would get overbearing, and this frees them up a little. Well, it's the nice to show is... that their world is more than just going to class and yeah. that one alleyway. They have Quidditch. Now, this scene is all. This series was always so good at doling out just these little pieces of the greater world around. Hogwarts, where you, you're always left wanting more, but you still walk away feeling like you actually know this world. Also, for the longest time, I thought Ron was saying dickheads in that scene. <laughs> dickheads. Same they do just say damn door. This movie's getting extreme. <laughs> That's weird. These doors keep opening. Anyway, everyone, take off your clothes. Oh, God, McGonagall's having a sex scene. Harry, what have you done? I am concerned about how little fucks Harry gives about snooping on people and voyeurism. He has no shame. It'll just be like, I have this cloak. I'm going to take advantage of it. Who knows what other scenes we haven't seen in the movies of him in that cloak. <laughs> oh, -ho. just watching Moaning Myrtle. Also, this is such a small moment, but it's always stuck with me. Just how 
emotional Fudge gets about Peter Pettigrew dying. Like, that's still something that disturbs him all these years later. All they found was a pinky. And it's so many, like, small details like that that give this, like, this whole series so much texture. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure the dog is just staring at the cameraman. But it makes it look like the dog knows what's up with his magic cloak. <laughs> Again, there's just so much going on in every shot. Oh, these doors just keep opening. Thank God we live in a wizard world where nothing supernatural happens. I should have so brought Jesus, Harry. He's a dick. He just keeps bumping into people, stealing lollipops. When Harry has that cloak, he's a jerk. <laughs> these oh. movies have serious issues with the small. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> They won't even live in, let him live in the walls. <laughs> so the small check. in the walls. Uh, we are at <laughs> one hour, six minutes, and 28, 29, 30 seconds. Harry, you don't Honestly, need to be invisible to cry. It's okay. Yes, he does. I wish I had that power. I think this is my favorite addition that Quran made because there's not really a scene like this in the book where you see Harry like unequivocally swear vengeance against Sirius Black and it makes for such a great fucking moment meme worthy even As much as I love the transitions, that one is a little bit weird. I'm going to kill him. And then it just goes to this nice spring thaw. Then <laughs> Harry just squishes that butterfly. Ah, oh, Harry's on a rampage. God, I love the snow hitting the camera from the fake CGI tree. <laughs> Brilliant. Hey, you're just in Dumbledore's office. Maybe. No, I'm not. So... Yeah, I'm chocolate. <laughs> so at this point, Here, Robert, I, I, I think... We all need uh, to reveal our own Patronuses so we can cast along with Harry like dorks. <laughs> did you guys go on to Pottermore and do the quiz? I did. I did. Oh, I can kick things off. I did mine forever ago, so I don't remember what it said about my actual animal. Uh, all I know is it's a brown bear, but it's a Patronus, so it looks like a polar bear. <laughs> so I think they could have just said, your Patronus is a bear. They cheated. <laughs> uh, I was uh, very pleasantly surprised. I have, according to the the ad copy on or I have a very rare Patronus, a bat. I was very um, pleased. Oh, so jealous. Mine's an Asa cat. <laughs> so, a cat. Mine's biggest. I win. Mike, uh... Not to get blue during this Harry Potter commentary, which we normally would never do, but you do realize you get to tell people that your Patronus is pussy, right? See, now I'm for it. God, if only the music was playing right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just stuck on the visual of someone like Harry doing Specto Patronum, and just a flapping vagina comes out the wand <laughs> to scare away the ghosts. To scare away evil. Go, go. It's the most positive thing in the world. What is your happiest thought? <laughs> well, it's not really a happy thought. It's just... More chocolate. 
more chocolate. Ironically, I was very nauseous right before recording and looked in my house for chocolate, but there was none. Uh, Damn it, Remus, you have to share. So the first half of this scene, I love because it knocks Harry down a little bit. Just the fact he didn't get the Patronus the first time, even though he's the chosen one. The more the movies stress that Harry is a normal kid, the more I like it. Chosen one narratives always bother me. So to have one where he's chosen, but more so because everyone made up their mind that he's the chosen one, not because he's actually that special. Yeah. is a wonderful little twist. And in this case, yeah, moments like this show, he's a normal kid. He didn't, he's not that good at magic compared to other people. Hermione knows a lot more than him. He gets the spell, but it's through hard work. Unfortunately, because it's a movie and they don't have like five hours, he gets it on like his third try in the same session. So that undercuts the message a little bit, but at least he fails twice before he nails it. Let's face it's not that hard anyway. <sighs> yeah, I, I don't know. They break up how tough the spell is. But they get everyone doing it by, you know, the fifth movie. And it was always funny when they refer to spells as like they have le- different levels of difficulty, despite the fact they all amount to just shouting a word and pointing and I, thinking really hard. I feel like they could have stressed that more in the movies. In the first part of the film, Harry was actually reading a book that showed how hand movements are supposed to go with the wand to emphasize the spell. And I, I don't know if it just happens too fast for us to see it most of the time, but a majority of the spells seem like it's just wizards quickly pointing their wand straight forward. I want to see more weird shit where they have to like flip it, flip it around and do like a midair carving before the spell works properly. They're a tiny train. <laughs> Woo! Choo choo! Never noticed that before. <laughs> yeah. Neither have I. Why would that be in the observatory? That makes no sense. <laughs> then again, uh, why are the where candles they keep the Hogwarts spines, Express when it's so... not delivering kids? They just have the Hogwarts Express shrunk and kept in perpetual motion inside that room. Is this just to make you feel like uh, Lupin is uh, Mr. Rogers or something? It's it's evocative, but I don't know of what. Does he live up there? Also, what are you doing pondering space? You're you're magic people. (laughs) Not your forte. Also, how many times has Neville just gotten his jaw broken by that fucking pendulum? (laughs) He lives in a magic school. It's all right. I like how Ron's forever stuck wearing shitty sweaters. <laughs> He's poor. Leave him alone. We're really going to try to dress the kids more like real people. Except you, Ron. You still have to wear shitty, shitty sweaters. Hey, Plus, look, guys. It's with... the best tie in the world. <laughs> I love grown-up adult businessman. <laughs> I think he skinned a Yeti. Coat. It's like a dead Chewbacca he's wearing. I want a museum of the best movie clothes so I can collect Hagrid's tie and uh, the Jaws Mare's uh, anchor jacket. <laughs> the jacket we all want. Oh, we passed it's it. such a cool jacket. There's a there's a th- thing I noticed, like, uh, going back to, uh, Jamie, when you were talking about, uh, like, some, f- like, false red herrings with, like, the chocolate and whatnot. Because when I was rewatching, I realized they did that with Hermione's cat as well. Like it's oh, yeah, just with all the to, shots of Crookshanks. Yeah, it's like just to... It's for scabbers, like build up scabbers throughout the movie, but it's to just reverse it, so you think something's going on with the cats the entire time. Who and does not mysteriously disappear. 
Yeah. I, I mean, I don't trust cats to begin with, so it, it worked like gangbusters for me. Right, you see the mustache on that cat? But it's <sighs> like, I love it because it's not necessary, but it's just, it kind of, it's something to layer into the movie to keep you constantly thinking. It just it's keeps funny. a level of danger to the plot at all times. That's like that's the brilliant move on Kiran's part. Like he knows there's not really a mystery to this one, but he still finds a way to make everything ambiguous. Like you still feel like there's something you haven't quite pieced together. And it turns out, yes, there very much is. Also, I want to say, uh, I think you tell those spiders, Ron, is the best acting <laughs> that Radcliffe does in this entire series. Because that, that really is me anytime I've had someone talk to me in their sleep. It's the implication that this has happened many times before. <laughs> Ron wakes up every night screaming about spiders and no one will help him. Also, it blew my mind when someone brought up, uh, I was like uh, watching a video or something, and someone brought up that, did it Did it never occur to anybody that Ron and Peter Pettigrew were always in bed together on the Marauders map? <laughs> you just blocked that part out. Look. Stealth Snape. Fred and George do not judge. So why why are the portraits sleeping? Do they have souls? Do they have biological needs? Are they pooping in other paintings? Dude, you have no idea how much this has bothered me for over a decade. Like it's it's I think in the books is even made even more apparent. No, the por the portraits are just alive. I don't like this. I know they can move from portrait to frame to portrait frame. I don't like the idea they can relocate and have their own lives. I want a painting to be a painting. God well, damn it. In the books, when Sirius Black dies, the portrait of his grandfather mourns him. Yeah, it's even worse because the pictures they put in newspapers are the same. So they have to have a very short shelf life. I imagine those papers do not last long. They're getting crumpled up. Do they feel pain when a newspaper is crumpled? It's it's pretty much like that Black Mirror episode. Like every single newspaper has a little soul in it that's just repeating that one moment forever. It's a dark world. It's amazing that this works when you when you break down what's happening in this scene alan rickman with a wig on and <laughs> long black robes is holding a stick with a blight bulb at the end of it and this is the most tense goddamn thing in the world snake throwing shade <laughs> I love everything that sh that Snape does in this movie when you look back on it, knowing what you find out in the later movies. I, this is just a grown-up nerd looking for any excuse he has to punish the people who were mean to him in high school. <laughs> you ever stop and think, Alan Rickman in this in this universe 
was a goth kid. <laughs> Alan Rickman. <laughs> With his whoopee cushions. <laughs> oh, I'm terribly sorry. I want to know who killed the dragon up there. <laughs> I mean, we got it in the last movie, too, with all the Cornish pixies, so that's nice. I think even in the Lego Harry Potter Hogwarts set that they're just coming out with, the micro-scale one, they have a sticker of the dragon skeleton <laughs> you can, you can awesome. put into the Defense Against the Dark Arts building. Officially hit the Lego portion of the Harry Potter commentary. I mean, eh, I don't have as much to say as last time, other than... It must be mine. <laughs> like controls. I said the, like I said the other day, I think you can just live in that thing. So just, just stop paying rent. I mean, it's micro scale, so it's thousands of pieces, but it turns out a little bit smaller. So it's you know reasonable to put inside of a house. It's it's something reasonable roughly like to put two, inside of a house. It's something like two feet wide by two feet tall and a, a foot and a half wide or something or deep or something like that. So big, it would take up like a giant chunk of desk, but it's not so big you wouldn't be able to get it back out the door. Uh, not to keep Hark being on this point, but God, does the story have way much more tension and impact when. It's not surrounded by hundreds of pages of Harry, Ron, and Hermione just goofing around. I like how you say that, then you cut the scene where they're just making shit up. They're just goofing around. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, Trelawney really has her number here. <laughs> this is this is every one of my experiences in art class until I was no longer forced to take them in high school. The worst. Ugh. Although that seems a little much. Also, that should have shattered. I don't know <laughs> what kind of magic they're using on these bulbs, but it's ridiculous. Gryffindor just lost so many points. <laughs> I just realized that Crystal Ball picked up speed there at the end. <laughs> it's magic. To follow her out. <laughs> no, Hermione, you're supposed to love me. And then it went down the stairs. Just some of them. Just had a nice little day off. Way, was so happy yeah. to be out of that horrible classroom. Freedom. She smoked weed all day. Stinks in there. And Ron seems like a jerk for not going back up the stairs, but boy, having gone to a college campus well known for its ridiculously steep hill, I can't blame him. Once, <laughs> like in college, once I went down the hill in Eau Claire, it was like, nope, I'm not going back until the end of the day, even if it means like I have to sit at the bottom of the hill for three hours between classes. I won't do it. So I am on Ron's side. It's not worth going back up that goddamn tower to return a stupid ball. Also, I like how you make that joke, and we cut to just 
incense burning in <laughs> classroom. Actually, if I remember correctly, it is strongly implied in the books that Trelawney is always in some altered state or another. It's for magic's sake. It's like medical marijuana for wizards. God, that's decadence, isn't it? Smoking magic. Magic reefer. You can't tell me wizards don't have good drugs. That's actually that chocolate that Lupin keeps giving you, Harry. <laughs> that's just wizard ecstasy. Okay, imagine you're a wizard. And you just I already like where this is going. <laughs> a wizard edible. And, you know, you're, you're basking in that glow. And then you realize, as a wizard, you can just make cool lights and glowy things with your wand and neat visuals. I think half the student body would just be sitting in their dorms, getting high and casting magic spells on the walls. <sighs> they wouldn't even need black light posters. With magic, life is your drug. Was, you've seen that fucking candy store. I think the wizard world is psychedelic enough. <laughs> this hunchback is way, way too into Harry. Even in the opening scenes, he was just ogling the guy. That is like Harry's number one fan. Sup. A random Spanish fairy tale executioner. <laughs> also, is it just me, or is this getup just what Hermione looks like to you? It's it's kind of like Hermione's superhero outfit. That's just yeah, that's just what she wears everywhere they all the time. They all kind of switch to hoodies at after this, except for Ron, I guess. But this is kind of the Harry outfit too, just a, kind of a casual tracksuit thing, or maybe a hoodie. It is legitimately weird Draco just immediately starts crying. <laughs> and I assume pissed himself. This Probably. movie, like, just Ugh. shits all over Draco. The fact that you hear his head hit the stone behind him is so <laughs> fucking brutal. I think for Draco, they should have gone the other way for his outfit. Like, he should have become more formal and stuffy as they went along. Like, by the end, he's wearing shoulder pads that are three feet wide. <laughs> Okay, can we take that opportunity to just point out how weird it is that Draco had a following? <laughs> that thing that freaked Rowling the fuck out. Every weirdo, dark, tormented character has a following. It weirds me out that Star Wars fans are totally into uh, Donald uh, uh, Driver. Fuck, Adam Driver <laughs> as. Uh, like a Donald hot Driver, character. the guy who played Lando. Donald Driver. Ouch. I just Hashtag love football Thanos so much. Was right. <laughs> it's, it's funny. With Snape, Rowling just eventually leaned into it and made him an anti-hero. With Draco, she made it her mission to make him as much of a neo-Nazi as possible. <laughs> and it didn't work. Although, if she had known the kind of environment we're getting into now, politically, maybe she would have tried something different. True. I'll, I'll go to bat for Ron on a lot of things, but they do a great job in this movie of making him just seem like a complete oblivious dope. This, this doesn't help his case, just... Uh, come on, Ron, what are you doing here? 
I'm not supposed oh, to God, allow, have kids me. in my cabin. <laughs> I like not again. The same joke. <laughs> not after Aragog. Also, let me put this blanket over this horrible egg monster. Apparently, he's hatching tremors now. <laughs> yeah, see, that's why I like Buckbeat. He's the one animal Hagrid gets a attached to that isn't a goddamn monster. Yeah, he's, you know, a little dangerous, but compared to most of the other things Hagrid has got around, not bad. These pumpkins are probably living too, and like Halloween night, they start rapping and eating kids. So, as someone who apparently doesn't know much about pumpkins... Do do pumpkins grow that size in the spring? Prize you, pumpkins. You've read facts about prize pumpkins before. Uh, yeah, but those are harvested during the fall. Magic. I'm just curious, like, have I known so little about pumpkins that this isn't a weird thing? In my mind, this is a very Halloween Harry Potter movie, but... This whole thing is taking place during the spring. There's not that much that really goes on during the fall. Uh, they're honest, like you Cody. with your movie selections. Like They have to be seasonally appropriate. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, Cody. The most I know about pumpkins is that time we calculated how to replace your blood with pumpkin <laughs> puree. So you're asking the yeah. wrong person. Hold on. I'm, I'm looking up some pumpkin facts right now. Oh, Jesus Oh, Christ. boy. Uh, we've gone down a dark path. No, you oh, keep so... talking about the movie. I'll get back to you. <laughs> I love Ron's hero shot with him holding scabbers. <laughs> holding an old man, technically. It's weird to think Peter's frequently poops in front of Ron. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, finally, the rat is free. <sighs> Peter's seen Ron masturbate, hasn't he? Oh, <laughs> undoubtedly. Don't look, scabbers. <laughs> Not yet, anyway. Okay, scabbers, now look. Oh, oh it's interesting. Now. Pumpkins are native to North America. <gasps> wow. Just... That that's what brought uh, the pilgrims over here. That was the promise of the new world. We want our pumpkin pies. Oh, pumpkins oh, are God, going all around the world the whole time. I knew it. It's a little funny looking. We've talked about the structure of this film a few times, but it still always surprises me how much the film essentially takes place on one evening. They have to cheat a little bit and use time travel to fit it all together. But after all the stuff we get of the transition between seasons, the classroom lessons, the last, like, 50 minutes of the movie are dedicated essentially to one night. One sequence. This movie amazingly gets away with having a normal movie's finale right here, and then it just keeps going for 20 more minutes. But it doesn't feel wrong. Did you know the top pumpkin-producing states in the United States are Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and California? Cody, close out the pumpkin facts. I'm learning so much!
According to the Illinois Department of Agriculture, 90%, 95% of the U.S. crop intended for processing is grown in Illinois alone. What does this have to do with Harry Potter? The pumpkins. Okay. Pumpkins are a warm weather crop that is usually planted in early July. I like how you're using the same logic that ABC Family would use anytime they aired these movies. Oh shit, it's Valentine's Day. Uh, Harry likes a girl in this one. <laughs> Harry finds himself in caves a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of fucking caves on these grounds. Look, it was very important to Dumbledore that Hogwarts be as spooky as possible. So he has places to hide his stash. <sighs> Pumpkin update. On the Wikipedia article, there's a section just about giant pumpkins, and they say, see hashtag pumpkin festivals and competitions below, which might be my favorite link I've ever found on Wikipedia. <laughs> see hashtag pumpkin festivals and competitions below. As a, can we talk about this German expressionistic house we find ourselves? <laughs> the shrieking shack? That's breathing at all times. More of the footprint motif. Dracula! Uh, Gary Oldman, what are you doing here? I've crossed oceans of time to meet you, Harry. <laughs> Saying no, only one will die tonight. Like, come on, Oldman, don't be the goddamn theatric. <laughs> Now's the time for facts. Hey, my wand. It's always hilarious just how fucking insane everyone in the scene is. <laughs> It only works because everyone has to be playing this so oddly. Like, Lupin's saying his lines as if he's, like, you know, treating this as an enemy, even though it's actually a friendly exchange. I think it works a little better on the page than it does being spoken out loud. And you have, like, well, three... Well, is drunk in this scene. Incredibly. You have three incredible British actors just being crazy in this scene. It's delightful. <laughs> One's acting like a rat. Remus is sleepy and drunk. Oldman is Oldman. <laughs> Things This I is would why always you get share when I left math classes. <laughs> This is why you fucking get Gary Oldman. How We need a shouty crazy man. I did my waiting. Really, this is as close as we'll ever get to Oldman playing a pirate. Yeah. We don't know that. They're still making pirates movies. You get Pirates of the Caribbean 8 with Gary Oldman as like Blackbeard 2. <laughs> I want to see Gary Oldman as a pirate so fucking bad. A singing pirate. Yeah, he would go fancy with it. He'd be like Gentleman Barbosa in that one movie. Yes. <laughs> Hello, Snape here. Sneaky Snape. Haha. Oh God. Okay, Harry, Harry doesn't disarm Snape in this scene. Like he basically murders him. Snape should have some <laughs> permanent damage from this. 
and faces no repercussions. Not at all. Well, that's because Snape probably forgot what the fuck happened to him when he clocked his head on that wall. <laughs> also, can I just say, I have been obsessed for so long with old men's career-defining line reading of Peter Pettigrew. <laughs> There's... I think he busted a fucking blood vessel on that. It's outstanding. There's something about these guys when they just shout out one name with that much venom that always sticks with you. There's that one. My other favorite is uh, Sweeney Todd when he just screams out, Benjamin Parker! <laughs> Speaking of Sweeney Todd, we have... Pretty women. <laughs> we have Rickman and the Beetle in this scene. Only the Beetle is a rat. <laughs> And I, it's it's great going back after the series and looking back at Rickman's performance in this scene. He is so fucking ready to kill Sirius. <laughs> it's not... Expelliarmus knocks him through a bed. <laughs> he wasn't even now. aiming for the wand. Yes, he murdered Snape. At least he landed on a bed. <laughs> that is like a fucking Catwoman landing in the kitty litter. <laughs> He really didn't attack Snape. I think he just murdered him. God, it really speaks to the genius of this story that in the end, everything just revolves around that fucking Marauder's map. Like, There's really not a, a complicated web of lies and deception plot points. It's just, oh shit, he's on the map. Well, that changes everything. <laughs> Now, I don't know how long rats live in the wild, but mice are something like two or three years. So it does seem reasonable for the crazy prison guy to be like, you dummies, come on. This is like an award-winningly long-lived rat. It's a prize rat. Who's maimed like Splinter. <laughs> hey, look, everybody, it's Timothy Spall. You know it's him because he only plays bad people. <laughs> yeah, he only plays weird animalistic dudes in British movies. <laughs> He's My got the market friends. corner. <laughs> it destroys me every time. How does that work? Do you think in real life he's the sweetest guy in the world and he just has to do this role to get it all out of him? Or he's actually just always like that and that's where like, we have to cast Timothy Spall in this role. He's a monster. I had lunch with him and he ate all my food and made me pay the bill. <sighs> Dark Lord. You had an AR-15, Remus. What was I supposed to do? He was going to blow me away. Also, he's sporting some of the strangest male pattern baldness I've ever seen. <laughs> so unsettling. It's like a fryer tuck that had a mullet. It's weird to get to Goblet of Fire and then the scene where he's just pure fucking evil. We get a glimpse of it in this one, like when he does that little kind of smarmy wave before he turns back into a rat and runs away. You see the real character right there for just a second. It's it's weird to think. This is a character who very soon will have a cable arm. More than that, it's this guy who is essential for Voldemort to come back and all the problems of the rest of the movies. Like, this skeezy little jerk. It's all his fault. He's, he's, it's, it's like Gollum in The Lord of the Rings. It's all his fault. He did it all. It's all because of scabbers. Scabbers. This is why we don't keep rats as pets. 
look, serious. I get that you're really excited to talk to Harry. You you want them to know how not crazy you are, but you've got some explaining to do. You were a dog five minutes ago. There's like a million ways you could subdue this rat man. I, I don't know why magicians haven't thought of any of them. Yeah, magician like sorcerers do not seem to like handcuffs. No, I suppose I could magic out of them, but you still think they could just be like, "Hey, uh, magic this guy together, like just bind his legs with magic rope, give this guy a magic concussion so he's too wobbly to run away." Uh, I don't know, just apparate him anywhere to be like to the wizard police, be like, "Hey, look, I have a story." Also, a hairy rat man. Is that weird to think this movie still has like 40 minutes left? I was weird. just thinking about that. Like, mean, we're the, just at the end of a normal movie right now. Well, with the whole time turner thing, they get to do all of this over again. So, you know, 20 minutes becomes 40 minutes. Time travel, man. Hell of a drug. It's really, really weird to think that Peter was mentally present enough to know who all of these people are. <laughs> like, he was just a tiny dude, completely in charge of all his facilities. I mean, the, the thought process here is pretty whack. Just, just imagine, okay, his plan is he's going to become a rat. Theoretically forever. To hide out. God, Scabbers must have freaked the fuck out whenever Harry Potter walked into that goddamn train car. Right? <laughs> the plan was just to follow this kid around for the rest of his life until either the Dark Lord came back or he died. Also, hey, look at this horror shot in here. <laughs> I say this to Cody every time he's about to buy a Blu-ray he doesn't need. <laughs> and it never works. Can't wait for my copy of Dead and Buried to show up tomorrow. I just became the witches there for a second. I'm always disturbed with how easily that actor transforms into a rat. <laughs> so they had to do very little. And with how easily Thulus becomes the wolf man. <laughs> oh, the backwards knees. Maybe I'm in the minority here, but not a fan of this werewolf design at all. I actually uh, like it quite a bit. I like how pathetic it looks. It's, it's very know, Wendigo. The, 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 the gangly arms, uh, the, the thin hair look of it all, it seems less threatening than you would maybe want for the dramatic finale of your film. Shit, you know what he looks like, Mike? He looks like the rake, doesn't he? He does. You threw me into a bed! <laughs> oh, now I'm a werewolf. <laughs> the irony. Snake I, I, wolf. I don't like werewolf. Uh, like, I have very specific ideas about werewolf designs, and this falls in under none of them. 
uh, my ideas of what a werewolf should look like, but I really uh, actually enjoy this. It looks, I like how it's completely unexpected design wise. It's kind of corpse like almost. It's, yeah. My ex had some hairless dogs, like hairless. I don't know what the breed is, but they're just hairless things that have like little, yeah, little mohawks and stuff. And they remind me very much of this. And those things were, I suppose, terrifying. But also just skinny little monster dogs. That just seemed like a mistake more so than something you would be threatened <laughs> Jesus by. Jesus Christ. Also, you know werewolves like idea... aren't real, right? I yeah. like the idea of you looking at a box of puppies and just shaking your head. No, you're a mistake. These are all runts. This litter Time is to a mistake. Burn them. <laughs> I know we shouldn't hammer on continuity points too much, but it is bullshit that Peter Pettigrew turns into a rat without his clothes. Like, it, he disappears into his clothes when he turns back into a rat, but how did he transform back into Peter Pettigrew with clothes on? At that one was point, the decision he, was able to he the made. They magicked clothes. He just wanted to abandon his nude. clothes this time. Well, they didn't want him to be nude. There were children present. He needs to transform with his clothes every time. We see McGonagall do it. We really do not get enough cat McGonagall in these movies. Yeah, almost none at all. It's weird. It's it's so strange that that's not how Peter gets taken out later on. Like McGonagall <laughs> just snaps his goddamn neck. <laughs> That'd been a fun little bit. <laughs> Instead of strangling himself with his own hand, just murdered. I think the way it plays out in the movie doesn't Dobby technically kill him. Oh, he kills himself. Uh, I remember, he's like, strangled in, by his own hand. Well, in the book, he's strangled by his own hand. Did they put that into the movie? I remember, like, Dobby knocks him out, but I don't remember the hand bit. Uh, I haven't seen part one since it came out, but I remember that being in there. I remember it, be, it being kind of weird and not really translating. <laughs> I mean, if it is in there, that definitely be the case. Ah, my soul! Give it back. Does the soul regenerate? How does that work with this mythology? Because they scare away the Dementors. Does Harry just have less soul than he did before? It's starfish logic. Gotcha, okay. I was saying, like, blood donations. Like, you can't give it all away at one time because you'll die, but, you know, you can do it every couple of weeks. Can I just say how much sense it made to me whenever... I read an interview with Rowling where she said, yeah, the Dementors are just what my depression was like. Oh, they're just depression. There is like, it, it's kind of amazing how little bullshit there is with the Dementors and what they represent. Again, with anything in this series, like this is a direct world. It'd be much this just more. Becomes uh, the world's longest Zoloft ad. <laughs> See, this scene would be much more impressive. That was just pussy lips exploding oh! in the light. <laughs> it's the, the glory. That ate everything. And then Dumbledore just explains how we're all pink inside, Harry. Remember, Sirius, they can't take your soul bit if you keep your mouth closed. 
Don't you know that? You're Dracula. You've crossed oceans of time. I'm, I'm never going to let that go, family. by the way. Sorry, just had to. <laughs> K.O. Credits. If I had a nickel. Passed out on a shoreline with Gary Oldman. It was a hell of a party and there was a lot of missing tequila. No, you didn't, Harry. He's dead. <laughs> exactly. He died for a minute there. They organized capital punishment in the wizard world really goddamn fast. It's been ten minutes. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how it is in England, uh, how, like, your appeal process works, but, boy, in America, this drags on for a long time. You get a lot of second chances before they finally kill you. I was going to say, I have serious misgivings about the wizard judicial system if having your soul sucked out by hell beasts is a potential outcome of legal proceedings. Like, I think they need some serious criminal justice deformed, a brief form. In the wizarding world of Harry Potter. At least this Everything is more tonally. Seen from... No, go on. Everything we've seen from all the movies. God damn it, Dumbledore. Everything we've seen <sighs> in these movies about wizard justice shows that the whole system is fucked up. Fucking remember Fantastic Beasts where she's just going to be executed after an interview? Yeah, for like conspiracy too. It wasn't even like she actually did anything wrong. It was basically, you're bad at your job. We have to murder you now. It's like, no wonder you easily slide into fascism, like, every 20 years. <laughs> Wizard law is hardcore, man. Also, <laughs> you commented on it briefly, but I love how Dumbledore just casually hates Ron. <laughs> it's very Charles Xavier of him. I feel like in the later movies, when he wills Ron the Illuminator, it should have been a broken one. Or, like, there should have been fake snakes inside of it, so when he flicks the switch, they just pop out and poke him in the eye. Oh, it's filled with spiders? <laughs> there we go. And, th and then a Patronus of Dumbledore appears and laughs. Oh! Cranked, Weasley! So this is some bold work by Rowling to introduce a time travel component to the Harry Potter books. That thing she would immediately regret. <laughs> right, because there, magic breaks plots super easy. You know, it's a cell phone in a horror movie. It just, it, you don't want it there. And unfortunately, when you're doing a movie about magic, or a book series about magic, you just deal with it. But she's not doing herself any favors by introducing something as powerful as time travel. I will say she does cover her ass a lot by establishing that Time travel only works if it's a bootstrap paradox. Like, you can only travel back in time if you always traveled back in time. And that situation prevents itself. And I, from what I've heard about her latest bits, like The Cursed Child, and I guess spoilers for that, there's a large time travel component to it. It's one of those deals where Pandora's box was opened right now, and unfortunately they, they're dealing with the consequences still. I forget, yeah. isn't there a moment in the Order of the Phoenix book where during the big fight they just run into a room full of every time turner and Voldemort destroys them? <laughs> I feel like he probably should have kept a couple for himself. 
That would have been a good idea, though. Like, let's just get rid of these. These are something we don't want around. Uh, that was such a there moment. <laughs> I mean, she had to have been expecting that. As soon as she had time travel, then uh, it's the same situation as Superman just being able to fly around the world to prevent Lois Lane from dying in Superman the movie. Once he does it once, everyone's going to be asking why he doesn't do it every time there's a problem. This, this is why uh, the Flash has Black Flash to deal with. <laughs> well, you fucked a... up. Here's the time, police. <laughs> <laughs> that should have been their career after, uh, like, when they graduated at the end of the, end of the series. We're now a time cops. I mean, being wizard police sounds pretty cool, but imagine if you can add a time element to that, too. Time wizard cops. It's just Mad Libs at that point. Oh, do you think that's the crime of Grindelwald? He just steals all the time turners? Oh, imagine how much that would fuck with people if it turns out Fantastic Beast 2 is a time travel movie and they're actually fucking around with the original Harry Potter series. <laughs> Johnny Depp ruins Harry Potter for everyone. Murders time. Murders oh, God. Time. It, it becomes out... Alice in Wonderland 2. <laughs> it turns out Newt killed Harry's parents. <laughs> We I'm sorry, I, I was being whimsical and it just happened. <laughs> it was the opposite of this scene. Instead of like tricking an executioner to murder a pumpkin, he accidentally tricks like a gardener to murder Harry's parents. <laughs> that was a lot of hijinks, folks. I'm real sorry. Also, a bit of an inversion from the last movie where Hermione gets petrified and removed from the finale of that film this time around it's ron with you know 34 minutes left to the film he's essentially neutralized he has to sit in the hospital bed while hermione and harry get to have the adventures also in this one hermione really takes the reins and drives most of this finale harry is along for the ride while hermione does the serious legwork harry oh, yeah she's just, the, <laughs> she's just the hero of this movie And an arm. She's got a cannon. That wasn't even magicated. Apparently, she, so you she think just that was Hagrid? You think that was Hagrid's grandmother? My new headcanon is all these pumpkins are actually plastic. They just have for decorative purposes. In world, not like not the pumpkins they put out for decoration on set. Oh, it's like the fake Christmas presents they put in front of the uh, Christmas trees at grocery stores. Yes. My favorite thing in the world. Oh, when you were a kid, did you always think that there was something special inside of those? I assumed they were like uh, going to be given away to charity and they were real presents until I found out they were just set dressing. A lot of groups will do that too, though. Like They'll actually just take presents real presents that are going to be used for charity and then put them around a tree. I was so happy when I walked in uh, during Christmas time, I walked in my therapist waiting room and it, it was decorated with fake Christmas presents. Like, Oh, it's, it's my childhood. Then I realized this is a therapist's office. That seems cruel. <laughs> <laughs> is it like some kind of Mr. Miyagi thing? Like, Oh, you, you, you're attracted to the 
brightly colored objects wrapped in ribbons, but inside, nothing. <laughs> Just like you, all empty. Werner <laughs> Verzog, your therapist, will be right back. <laughs> is this a radio show he's got? <laughs> cable access? Those scrambled eggs keep coming. Also, I love Columbo Dumbledore in this scene so much. <laughs> oh, you know, I was talking with my husband the other night, and uh, there was this thing on TV. Look, uh, strawberries over there. Strawberries? Yeah, yeah strawberries. It's a weird little point, like the crap he has to make up to distract them. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, I don't think it's that difficult to distract Fudge. Probably not. I mean, it seems in character that he could be distracted. Uh, you think that Cornelius Fudge is like Dale Cooper? Like, he just walks around mystified by <laughs> That's a damn fine pumpkin. God, that executioner is so riveted. <laughs> Strawberries. Anything that's red, he's into. Blood, berries. Doesn't matter. <laughs> to put the wizard punishment system in perspective, they deemed Buckbeak was a danger and then waited to execute him for basically a year. <laughs> Sirius Black broke out of prison, they caught him, and they decided to murder him ten minutes later. <laughs> also, it's confusing because they didn't they, they have an executioner on like around, because this happened just a couple hours beforehand. I'm assuming they didn't travel right back. Maybe they did. But they could have easily recalled him. Instead, they bring in Dementors to remove his soul. Well, the, the second you remove the soul, he's not troublesome anymore. Yeah, it's a wizard lobotomy. Bye oh, for everyone. That was Hager's favorite pumpkin. See, I'll accept these movie woods because they're magical. <sighs> Who cleaned these woods? Wizards. The centaurs. Uh... The centaurs, yeah, who have to live between these trees. I imagine if this was a real forest, it'd be terrible for them. Too many roots and stuff. They break their hooves. Where's the centaur in all this? What's his opinion? I think he's he's looking at everything just off camera like, what the fuck? Werewolves? Ugh. Just as long as nobody fucks with these unicorns again. <laughs> Ain't that right, Cloppy? <laughs> Get out of here, Tom Cruise. <laughs> shoo, shoo, yes. <laughs> to shoo a whiz <laughs> fucking elf boy Tom Cruise away with a broom. <laughs> Batman, yes, he'll save us. Uh, murdered by... No, my Patronus. <laughs> I really wished they just recreated the 20 questions scene from Bill and Ted's bogus journey here. 
I like how, because the third act is done, essentially, and you're just waiting for the end of it to to get to come up again, the ending of this movie is just really introspective. <laughs> it's, even, even in the uh, book form, though, remember the cover? The original cover was Harry on Buckbeak, like, flying around <laughs> Hogwarts at night. Kind of a spoiler. I guess it's always been the fate of this story to be like, yeah, things are going to play out kind of how you would expect. The big mystery element here is if Harry's dad was really the one casting the Patronus, but only probably children believe that might be the case. Yeah, what a fucking wrinkle that would have been three movies in. Like, they go Amazing Spider-Man 2 with it. Damn it, I was going to say that. Why not? Why not bring Harry's dad back? Not his mom, just his dad. Turns out I genetically engineered you to be the chosen one, Harry. <laughs> Only you can be the boy who lived. I don't know why I'm doing Bernard first. <laughs> <laughs> because it's a funny voice. It's fine. I mean, I can't do a British accent, so all my guys just sound weird. I was there the day James Potter died, Harry. <laughs> I dressed his wounds. <laughs> <laughs> It's just because once you say Harry, Bernard just kind of comes out. <laughs> what I love is Voldemort did die by his own wand. <laughs> it, it is I very similar to the Norman. the Dark Lord's wounds that night, Harry. <laughs> I love the Dark Lord, as I love you. <laughs> he was a snake man. Yes, Bernard, we know. <laughs> Going off of Hermione being the hero, we had Harry tripping this time instead of the lady. <laughs> Harry Potter, progressive wizard. <laughs> it's interesting structure-wise that the first story is all the kids teaming up in the uh, in the finale, essentially. Then the second one, one of the kids is taken out for the finale. And then the third one, one of the kids is taken out for the finale. So you just kind of get denied the full team-up. <laughs> well, they always have to split them apart too. It's it's Harry in the end who has to carry the day. Although here he just gives into death. <laughs> he completely <laughs> just cowers as the werewolf's about to eat him. It just drops his pants. Just stick it in. Just 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 go ahead. Just go. Just make. It I'm quick. done. Buckbeak. Oh, thank God! I forgot you were here. I mean, I knew Buckbeak would save us. Thank God, you magical fucking creature! Now get in the suitcase. <laughs> mythology, mythology question. <laughs> Besides Newt just capturing Buckbeak, uh, if a werewolf were to bite a hippogriff, would the hippogriff become a weregriff? No, you can't be two things. Well, I mean, can't hippogriffs be already magic. multiple things. Three things, technically. Yeah, what's a werewolf on top of that? Well, they've never really covered. Can werewolfism transfer to animals? Because then what happens when you fucking, when a werewolf bites a wolf? That Inquiring wolf becomes a slightly know. larger wolf. Uh, in this case, the wolf loses some hair, and <laughs> and its limbs get longer, so he feels like he's accomplished, and he gets to brag to his sister. Now he's the tall sibling. That got <laughs> wasn't that weirdly the plot specific? of an X Files though? <laughs> I think it was. There actually. might have been. I wouldn't be surprised. Any moment now, 
I love that in this moment, Harry is telling his friend, it's okay. My dead dad's going to show up. There's nothing we need to do. Blimey. Well, because he's British. Going back to the idea of campaign for this movie. Yeah. Going back to the, uh, Harry's confidence from the start of the film, it makes sense. He's the whole movie. He's kind of been worrying about himself, and the Dementors are the thing that take him down. So of course you would think, oh, someone else will take care of this. It's going to be all right. And then to find out he has to have the power to do it himself, you know, it's a big moving moment. Oh God! Expecto Patronum everywhere. <laughs> oh. We're now going to repurpose Harry Potter as a a, a lighthouse. He'll, he'll protect all the ships. Jason, the Argonites will now be saved. I would love to have a Harry Potter lamp like this. <laughs> Instead of clap on, you just shout "Expecto Patronum" and it blinds you. They actually do exist. Uh, wow. There's all sorts of cool Harry Potter merch that I never want to own. Like, uh, there's TV <laughs> remotes that look like wands. That seems like the most impractical thing in the world, but it exists. We, I love we know Harry. Harry. I love Harry's mania here. I'm a god, Hermione! <laughs> Nothing can stop me now! I can drop you off this bird any moment! <laughs> I've conquered time, and now I've conquered death! I have an invisibility cloak. I have a map of where you live. I can kill again and again. While riding a horse bird. A horse bird, Hermione. I decide who lives and dies. Sirius Black, you are my soul to guide. This prisoner, freed because I say so. I thumb my nose at wizard law. <laughs> I like Vigilante Harry that just... Uh, takes over Hogwarts from this point on. <laughs> There's no need for Voldemort to return. Harry flies around in Buckbeak zapping wizard criminals. <laughs> well, I'm off to live in the woods forever now. Goodbye. I'm off I to find a shower and a tailor. You have my word. I'll visit you again as embers in a flame. I my promise, face Harry. will be terrifying. I promise you, Harry, I'll be severely underused going forward. <laughs> Goodbye forever. I'm still better off than Dobby. <sighs> I don't like Dobby. Hey, you think Sirius didn't get up to some kinky shit in Azkaban? I don't want to know how much Azkaban is like Oz. Oh, God. I mean, the uh, the Dementors are just hands and a mouth. Just oh, sucking the soul from your dick? <laughs> oh. Different monster, guys. That's the succubus. <laughs> totally different. They can be totally. more than one thing. No, there's only one monster that sucks souls out of dicks. I hate your lack of imagination, Cody. <laughs> Every magical monster has a specific job. Otherwise, it'd just be the same magical monster. And then away Gary Oldman goes in his bird horse. Come on, we have to go fight all the other gym leaders. To buy a broom. <laughs> I, I'm all that he's, money Sirius he stole has. the broom. Harry just never questioned it. 
There's no way, no way Sirius Black could afford that broom. He has zero dollars. This guy is stealing everything he has. It is funny to think that's how fucking hard Harry Potter is. Like, he frequently corresponds with a wanted fugitive. (laughs) Clocks. So what happens if they don't get back in time? Because they're sprinting. Oh, Dumbledore, don't be coy. I'll never tell. (laughs) He's so queer. Could I have back that time turner that could alter the fate of everything? And that was half a Simpsons reference, so I'm on fire. (laughs) I do love how Gammon's performance got increasingly gay throughout the series <laughs> to the point where by the end it's just flamboyant. I fucking love that. Harry! Oh, like Harry. <laughs> See, that's why I don't really consider Book Dumbledore a queer character because you don't really get to say that after the fact, but movie Dumbledore, totally. Also, they never told Ron what happened, did they? No. no. They were going to put that over his head for the rest of the time. Time. Uh-huh. <laughs> God, he looks like a heroin addict here. <laughs> like, I would say running thing in the books that every time Harry sees... Uh, Lupin throughout the entire series. He is more and more bedraggled. And I think in Deathly Hallows, he's just wearing rags. He's got his scarecrow and is wearing its skin. How do you find time to get laid? Well, he's not teaching anymore, so, you know, you gotta do something past the time. Just doing that and being a wolf. That's part-time gig work. And sleeping. I'm surprised the he quit so of close to the Moreau. end of the school year. <laughs> Come on, Lupin. You, you've got like three weeks before finals. Just hang in there. I like the cabinet of skulls. It's a dark arts room. It's got to have skulls. What purpose does that serve? And I, Can I get it? <laughs> uh, it scares off the freshmen. <sighs> See, that's why Snape wants this position so bad. He's just the pro- the professor of spook studies. <laughs> Here, have back your map and murder all you want, Potter. I'm going to make a bold uh, statement here. Best hairy hair. I mean, the hair I in the next one gets it. pretty funky. Uh, Ron was going through a phase for a couple movies with hair, so for Ron, I wouldn't say this is his best moment, but for Harry, probably. All right, for Harry, by and large, in my opinion. It is funny how it took them three movies for Harry to have fucked up book hair. (laughs) (laughs) Also, God, is it funny in retrospect to think that he's leaving to go plow tonks. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife. I have to go have a whirlwind romance with Wizard Storm. 
God damn it. God, Ron is a piece of shit. This is what a, a federal crime, Ron. You can't just open people's mail. My God, you'll be able to broom so hard with that. <laughs> Can I call you Scabbers now? Quick, 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 before it swings back around! That's so dangerous! <laughs> These kids were probably all really good at Legend of the Hidden Temple. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! This thing's dangerous! There's I no like Draco belts. in the back being unimpressed. <laughs> His dad probably already bought, like, the next Fireball 2001. I love how this has a Hellboy <laughs> 2 ending. <laughs> the freeze fame with his blurry face is almost terrifying. Like, oh god, Harry's broken through the 3D barrier. He's in our world now. Run! Also, I love this movie's knack for finding the perfect scenes from elsewhere in the book to end the movies on. Because <sighs> the books always just end with, and then he got in the train and went home. <laughs> Be horribly abused. So it's it's funny we haven't really talked about this the entire movie, but I love how this is the one that has its own theme song. It's a little sad. This is the last John Williams Harry Potter, so good, you know, have that little extra iconic bit of music. But it, it's strange because going through most of this film. I had to double check that Williams was the composer. It doesn't sound like Williams by and large. No. Yeah. And it even breaks tradition with a lot of the other existing uh, Harry Potter score work. A lot of it sounds very different and unique to this film. The Something Wicked This Way Comes really comes to dominate the movie. Gary Oldman's name on parchment will never not amuse me. <laughs> Oh god, fucking The credits start like what, two hours, ten minutes in? Oh wait, we're two hours, eleven minutes and twenty one, twenty two seconds. Um, yeah, it's too late to sync it up stamp. now, folks at home. They um, need the timestamp so they can listen to ten minutes of credits. <laughs> this but, is where we saved all the good material, folks. Was but, David Bradley in this? I barely saw him. He appeared a couple times. Did he have lines? I've already forgotten. Yeah, he had a couple. <sighs> With, uh, with, with Dumbledore. So the next uh, ten minutes will be, just be us trying to spot the two sets of footprints that are fucking. Yeah, I looked around last time. I thought I saw them, but I think it might have also just been someone, like, walking in a weird way. I think they're near the end. Yeah, I think they're just on frame for, like, a second. I'm convinced it's someone who's just doing a really weird self-waltz and they're jumping back and forth. Also, like, since it's on the screen for us to get a good look at it, can we just talk about how brilliant the design of the Marauders map is, where everything is text? Oh, it's instantly Ooh. such an iconic design. You know, I, I remember there was like a special edition of the movie that came out with a replica, and that was the coolest thing ever. Uh, there's a reason you can get this as a big ass poster. Yeah, it didn't have a unfortunately moving feet, but boy, that'd been neat. There wasn't actually magic. I like the one-legged nurse in there. <laughs> this uh, apparently there's a drunk loose in Hogwarts. Yeah, his name's Hagrid. Uh, one of these days, 
Harry straight to the moon. Just Professor Trelawney going upstairs, then going downstairs because she forgot what she was getting. <laughs> Ernie, the bus driver. You're a dumb bitch. Cauldron covered. Tess Bukharan as a baby in portrait. Peter Pettigrew. The name that's just built for Gary Oldman to scream, I'm convinced. It's one of those great names for saying with disdain. Peter oh, yeah. Pettigrew. It's got a lot of, like, plosives, so you, you can't help but spit it out. Thank God we have a pop filter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that was actually designed to destroy podcasts. That's how people test them. They get pop filters and they just shout, Peter Pettigrew had a popple pipper. Peeves. That was actually something I was thinking about earlier today when I was uh, putting my notes together. A, a gigantic pet peeve of mine is in modern superhero movies where they feel the need to wink at the camera and acknowledge that everyone's names are silly. Meanwhile, we get 20 Harry Potter movies with people named Cornelius Fudge and shit. <laughs> the stick bomb store. Ah, uh, wait, three people just magically appeared <laughs> that were not there before. They were stink ghosts. That was uh, one person who exploded into feet. <laughs> oh, God. Does the map actually track footsteps or is it just movement? Because that could have been a person who exploded and went in like three different directions with her pieces. Oh, I think it's just movement. Otherwise, that map would just be filled end to end with feet. So the map is essentially a T-Rex. As long as you don't move, it can't find you. Where is that scene in the later books? Come on, where's the fucking footsteps? <laughs> fucking footsteps. We're burning low, there's only like another seven minutes of this. I like how this is the <laughs> most arty of the Harry Potter movies, and then we've fallen to looking for fucking, fucking footsteps. Gives toe taps a new meaning. Hello. Hey, that's cheating. <laughs> I think we might actually just be looking at the contract from the Hobbit film. <laughs> Pray you never have to use this. <laughs> but uh, wait, wait there's more. I'm curious, where does Azkaban fall on the ranking for you guys? Because it's always been number one for me. As a kid, I was not a fan at all, actually. Really? Yeah, there's all sorts of little things I loved as a kid, like the Quidditch scenes. All of a sudden, that wasn't important in this film. I thought that was a slight. Um, <laughs> just the fact that it was slight. shorter than the other Harry Potter films threw me off. Like, God damn it, I had to wait an extra amount of time for this one. I demand more Potter, not less. So a lot of, a lot of features of the film didn't sit well with me as a kid because I didn't understand what was happening. It was just different. I didn't like that. I just like the idea of you as a kid in the theater bringing your own broom because you're so excited for all the Quidditch scenes. <laughs> and you're just watching with your mouth agape the whole time, a single tear rolling down your cheek. Throwing bludgers at the screen. This is bullshit. Potter, get on that broom. 
So yeah, as as a kid, I definitely was not a fan of this movie at all. I probably for years would have said this is my least favorite of the entries. But you know, going back and having seen the films many times, uh, probably yeah, would put this at my top. Yeah, uh, I, it's hard to I say. Think the whether ending or not, drags like, a little bit. A little bit. I, I would actually agree just with that. the time travel aspect, since it makes like you know what seems like a thirty minute Enterprise an hour long. <laughs> but it is interesting. Uh, I kind of go back and forth whether or not I prefer this or Goblet. So I do really like Goblet. I think from a technical standpoint, the uh, just the the flourishes that this one has compared to the rest of the series make it more memorable. So yeah. I would give the edge for that reason. All the other Yates ones kind of blend together for me. And that's not, it's good because he's trying to make a series of films. You'd want them to be similar. But this one stands out so much, it, it gives it an edge. I, I don't think I, those feet are in here. <laughs> I, you know, I, I think Yates is great, but yes, that rhymed, but. I, I think it's almost detrimental to Yates's talents that he had to keep changing it up. Yeah. Like, you know, he couldn't just do the same thing all the time. So he'd keep trying to give it a different style, but... That's how we ended up with the Half-Blood Prince. Yeah, pretty much. Although, occasionally, Yates will get to kind of go off the chain, like in uh, The Deathly Hallows, where he has the animation puppet things that oh, explain yeah, the yeah. Deathly Hallows themselves. That's a oh, great I touch. So and I kind of wish we had more of those moments throughout his reign. Uh, you know, if Chiron was in charge of things, I feel like we'd get weird little artsy bits like that constantly. He always wanted to come back. Yeah, I don't know why they didn't just let him do it once. Also, I have to say, I'm so disappointed. I was really rooting for the feet popping up at Cums. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we've got like two minutes left. They better hurry up. Ron would have been really good at Order of the Phoenix. Oh, yeah. like That's definitely my least favorite of the films, and I think he really could have made that one something special. Well, also... It it's always going to bother me that we never got the Del Toro directed version of there Harry Potter. <sighs> oh, shit. I was, I was watching the guy doing the bunny hop in the middle of the screen. Oh, now there's baby feet. Oh, wow, they, they work fast. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Book of Monsters Repair Workshop. Uh, but just, just imagine Del Toro doing one of the darker, later entries. I think he could have nailed it. Well, he did say that this movie was too bright and cheery to hold his interest, so <laughs> maybe he would have done Deathly Hollows. Maybe. It would need more monsters, I think. He's only going to do movies with monsters, as far as I can tell. Yeah, I, this is something that blows my mind away about what what Kron did here, which is he, he darkened the aesthetic and the tone, and uh, just the look of the film is much more darker, much more bluer, grayer. Uh, much more horror-like, while and somehow Azkaban is arguably one of the brighter, colorful films in the series. <laughs> it really is. 
Like I don't know how it's he managed to do It's very Mexican in that way. Yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's why this is like best visually. Also, I just had a sudden thought occur to me. Forget the main Harry Potter series. Could you imagine if they had given Del Toro Fantastic Beasts? It's there in the title. Del Toro makes some monsters. That would have been so much better. <laughs> J.K. Rowling a writing partner. Whoa, hot takes here at the very end of the Prisoner of Azkaban commentary. <laughs> we save them for right now. Oh uh, no, she was going to come write... on for our next commentary. Oh shit. <laughs> God damn it, we lost another one. She was going to reveal that there was actually a Jamaican student at Hogwarts the whole time. We just didn't see him. <laughs> if you want to write your complaint letters to Box Office Pulp, you can lodge those to uh, pretty much any platform you want. We're on Stitcher. You can find us on iTunes. Twitter, even if you want to do it like 20 characters at a time, just frantically posting hate, that's fine. Box Office Pulp. Look it up. We're around. You can find us. Or if for some reason you've enjoyed this and you also want to slag on J.K. Rowling, uh, we have several other Harry Potter commentaries out there you can listen to, as mentioned before, or episodes that aren't about Harry Potter, but we might make passing reference to Harry Potter anyways, because it's hard to deny Harry Potter's around everywhere. Yeah. Well, there's only one thing left to do. Our own version of Mischief Managed. <clears throat> Cody, just end the fucking commentary already. That's a wrap. Get the hell out of here. You get more out of life when you go out to a movie. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. So just imagine after this came out and it made slightly less money than they expected if they pulled a Halloween 3 and they just made a <laughs> Harry Potter 4 that didn't quite connect back to 3 and it was like uh, Harry Potter 4, Dobby Returns. Nobody wants Dobby to return. Uh, yeah, it'd be terrifying though. Harry Potter doesn't want Dobby back? Dobby's a free elf. Dobby can steal all the knives he wants now. Dobby pregnant with Harry's child. No, Dobby. Just imagine Harry walking into his living room and Dobby's naked on the couch with a flashlight. Uh, Dobby's a free elf. Draw me like one of your French goblins, Master Potter. Harry Potter is Dobby's fuckboy. Can you imagine only being able to come if Gary Oldman's screaming Peter Pettigrew? I don't have to imagine, Mike. Hey. This is Box Office Pulp Guy, and this has been a Pulp Podcast production. Now please, 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 put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight. And now, on with the show. This meeting will come to order. The Legion of Pulp is now in session. In a moment, iTunes... Yes, Quizmotron? I was wondering, Emperor Palpatine, if I could, perhaps... Box Office Pulp thinks we need a few items to pawn on the black market. Box Office Pulp guy, you have a podcast dedicated to movie analysis. Pinhead, your pleasure puzzles are deadly. Isaac, you've... You've got corn! Corn? What more do you need? 
How about a nuclear warhead? What? All other supervillains have them. With a nuclear warhead, I should leave all of the podcasts to tear themselves apart with paranoia. Box office pulp wants a magic lasso to hang himself with. Can I get a ship in a bottle kit? I demand more cars. To make my own ship in a bottle. Oh, enough of this. The hell do I look like, Santa Claus? We're wasting valuable time. Right now, my Pope drones are rewriting Apple's code to make our podcast number one on iTunes. Excuse me, Emperor. Quizmotron, what is it? All Quizmotron wants is pants. A decent pair of pants. Darth Vader wants pants too. Order! Order! Tune in next week at hopepodcastnetwork.wordpress.com. I don't even know how I deal with any of you on a daily basis.